This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Um. So what are you drinking tonight? Anything? Uh, I'm drinking Strongbow. It's my favorite beverage. When I am oh, back ahead. on my Cabernet bullshit. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> uh, when Sarah and I were in college, we sang in a choir that toured England. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the first place I ever had Strongbow. And so it's got a lot of good memories attached to it. But it's also delicious. Y'all are so damn cute. We're adorable. Everyone wants to be us. Yes. Sure. (laughs) I mean, I really think that most people want to be me, but. Well, if you can't be you, then be me. That's what I always say. But I'm already me, so. (laughs) I said I didn't do anything earlier, but I did, um draw my favorite Broadway performer as Spider-Man. So that's the kind of bullshit I'm on right now. <laughs> I just think that if I draw <laughs> enough Spider-Man that Marvel will hire me. I don't know why my brain has put this together. Like, not that I need to apply for Marvel. Not that I need to, you know, like, be a trained artist. Just draw a whole bunch of fucking Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, and they will they will find you. Um, Actually... There's a girl I follow on Instagram called Lulu Sketches mm-hmm. that Disney just found her Tumblr when she was posting her art on Tumblr and offered her a job based on it. That's kind of incredible. Yeah, but I'm not as good as her. So it's not like I'm going to be discovered. I'm not the Mariah Carey of art. <laughs> okay, so this week you watched this shitty movie. Tell me the title. You know, I never say it right. Should I include punctuation? Please do. This movie is called Calendar Girl, comma, cop, comma, killer, question mark. And it was uh, released in 1992 on the Lifetime channel. It's got a couple of people of note that are in this movie. Um, Timothy Busfield, who uh, was in The West Wing. He played Danny in The West Wing. Oh, right. Okay. Now, The West Wing is one thing I've actually seen. Yay. Actually, this movie really changes the way that I see Danny from The West Wing, and I'll never be able to watch that show the same way ever again. Oh, no. I can't wait to hear why. So, and then we have Lindsay Frost, who, I mean, she looks... She's in like some sci-fi movies. I'm not a big sci-fi person, so I didn't really recognize her. The most person, like the most famous person in this movie, it doesn't even get a starring role, and that's Linda Blair. Like who the, was the Exorcist girl? Yeah, the Exorcist girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is your basic basic 80s bitch. I don't know. I don't know who any of the rest of these people are. So. That's how I hope people describe me one day. <laughs> what a basic 80s bitch or a basic 2000s bitch? No, basic 80s bitch. Like kicking it old school. Kicking it old school. <laughs> so, like I said, um, this movie was released in 1992 and I have a huge problem with this movie. Tell me everything. The problem with this movie is that I hate... Movies that don't have an ending. Okay. I hate them. So this fucking book that I read about it too also didn't have an ending because it was published in 92. Why would like you... 
I know that they're trying to like jump on the story and buy the rights or whatever, but there's not even a thing at the end. I mean, it's been almost 30 years since this movie came out and you think they could tag something on at the end. That's like, Oh, this is what happened. Nope. Nothing. Just some annotations like on YouTube. Nothing. Nothing. I'm going to handwrite in the back of this book. There are three blank pages. And I think those are there for me to fill in the rest of the story. I, you know what? You do you. You take it back to the library. You make it a better book than it was when you got it. My mom always says leave things better than you find them. (laughs) What I love is that in our first promo episode, you said you were going to read like two to three articles tops. And then on what? Monday or Tuesday, you sent me a picture of the fucking book about this case. Y'all, it was bad. <laughs> it was real bad. I read this article on Wikipedia and then I just got like pulled into it and wound up reading everything. You are now like you have a second master's in uh, the Bambi Bambenic story. And lucky for all of you, I wrote a 14 page thesis. Yeah, but we're cutting out like 10 of those pages. <laughs> <laughs> okay like one other thing they shot this and i'm sure it was on purpose but they shot this like a old like film noir it has a very like bluish like um oh like an old-timey cop movie you know okay. like from like the 50s and 60s like so they shoot it in like, mm-hmm, like a- right yeah it's really interesting i just i thought it was an interesting choice for a lifetime movie okay <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to tell you about this uh, movie. I cannot wait. Okay, so there's some scrolling script at the beginning. Um, Like Star Wars style? Yeah, very Star Wars style, but uh, definitely not Star Wars. Um, Tonight's film is a dramatization of events surrounding the murder of Christine Schultz. Composite characters have been used and some names have been changed. Okay. Hey, I have a question. If it's a movie that surrounds the murder of Christine Schultz, why is someone else's name in the title? You know, I'm not really sure. Christine Schultz, poor woman, poor, poor woman, makes has about a two minutes worth of screen time in this movie. Oh, okay. Okay, that's one way you could tell the story of someone's murder. Like, if you're going to lead in with it, focus on someone's murder, you should yeah. probably... Like, I don't know, include them? There's there's next to no information on this poor woman in this movie. Perfect. And I feel, except I just feel terrible for her because she, it seems to have gotten caught in just a terrible situation. Okay, I'm going to try not to interrupt you anymore. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> okay, so we cold open on a woman and she's tied up on a bed, kind of. Like, it, she's, like, struggling and moaning, but if she, like, wiggled her arms a little bit, like, all the ropes would fall off. And she could just, like, get up and run away. <laughs> okay. Which is... I thought you were going to tell me this is something sexual, but you don't look like you're headed somewhere <laughs> sexual. No, I am not headed somewhere sexual. This is not that kind of movie. Next week, we will be talking about that kind of movie. Yeah, we will. Woohoo! I'm super excited. Okay. <clears throat> so, the killer, like, while she's, like, struggling on the bed and moaning, he, the killer, like, creeps into the kid's room. And 
straight off, I can tell, I can break this case wide open because the person that killed this woman definitely knew them because there's no way this person was able to sneak through the kids' room and not step on the toys on the floor. I, it's not possible. I can't sneak through my bedroom and not step on stuff. <laughs> All right. So the killer tries to strangle one of the kids, but the kids are like laying next to each other in the same bed. And so when the killer like tries to strangle one of them, the other, for some strange reason, wakes up and starts screaming. Okay. Like you do. As, I mean, like you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, the killer totally freaks out and like goes back into Christine's bedroom and he shoots her. And then he just like walks down the stairs and out the door. And the kids are kind of up on the top step. Like, is he leaving? <laughs> it was very strange. Okay. And it's just going to get stranger. You guys, this movie was really bad. So, okay. Next, next shot. Nothing else. We're in a prison. And it's nine years later. Okay. Um, the one notable thing about this prison is that everyone's wearing street clothes. Um, what, what do you mean by street? Please tell me. Okay. Well, our heroine slash killer, maybe definitely not, is (laughs) she's wearing a crop top with like a cropped hoodie, like over it and like zipped up. Oh, so like she's real dressed up for prison. Yeah. She's wearing Levi's jeans. She's wearing a belt with like metal ends, which I, th- I don't know. Should that give people like prison? Give people stuff like that in prison? I mean, I teach middle school and when kids don't wear belts to school, we give them um, like twine. Maybe give them twine. There you go. Okay. So to top it all off, she's wearing leg warmers. I mean, it's the 80s, so. They had to prove to you it was the 80s. Yeah. Uh, oh, but so they pan and like there's a, a like a line of women coming out of a cell and they're all wearing street clothes, except one of them is wearing a scrunchie. Is that all she's wearing? <laughs> <laughs> no, she's got like a, an outfit, but she's wearing this very pink scrunchie. And I'm like, that girl's in some special kind of trouble right now that she has to wear that. <laughs> Did you know it's scrunchies like the- are back? You know they're not. My my middle and high schoolers, like the trendy girls, wear them regularly. Your middle and high schoolers are wrong. I guess, but they're wrong. Continue. That's it. <laughs> um so Bambi is pushing like a laundry cart down the hallway while all of the gross prison guards like say gross things to her about how gross they are. <laughs> they're I don't know. There's an exchange between her and one of them. And he's like, he says something like nasty. And she's like, why don't you go home to your wife? <laughs> A plus script writing. Okay. So um, she goes into the laundry room and she, you know, they take a nice shot of her bending over to put more clothes that don't belong in a prison into the dryer. And so the guard like looks away going on his merry way after he checks out her ass and she just like she just like reaches up and climbs out of the an open window in this prison like you do i want to know what prison this is because they have open windows they're giving people 
you know, non-prison issue clothes. I just, I really have a lot of questions. Um, I mean, I can tell you what prison it is. <clears throat> Whose job is it to close the window? Um, the prisoners. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. They also have to lock all the doors before they go to bed at night. <laughs> You're like, guys, here's the keys. You just hold on them to them until the morning time. <laughs> Bye. Also, can you do roll call for me? I'm real busy. Yeah. <laughs> Make some breakfast for everyone. We gotta we're really we're gonna go on vacation, so y'all will be fine for a few days by ourselves. Here's 20 bucks, you know, don't throw a party. <laughs> so okay, so she climbs out the window, she's like running around trying to get the hell out of this prison, right? And this spotlight, you know, there's like the prison, you know, the prison spotlight where they're uh -huh. like I don't know, looking for people, I guess. <laughs> can tell I know so much about prison life. Um, the spotlight goes like right over her and nobody sees her. Does she stop? It is an 80s, early 90s movie. Does she stop and have a musical moment? No, she does not. She does, Damn. though. She climbs up the fence. She takes her belt off and wraps it around the barbed wire, barbed wire to pull it down. Climbs over that and she's free. Yay! Okay, now I know my plan of escape. Mm -hmm. Just gotta get him to give you a belt and you'll be fine. So she climbs or she meets this guy and I guess it's her boyfriend. And at first I thought it was Keanu Reeves and I got super excited. It's but not, it's not. It's not mm -hmm. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, spoiler alert, it's not <laughs> Keanu Reeves. <laughs> That's the worst spoiler alert. Right. And I, you know, it really makes me sad that she has a boyfriend and she's been in prison for nine years and I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, not going there. Continue. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? I was just going to say, I'm not sure that she wouldn't have been willing to trade, you know, everyday freedom for a boyfriend. Like, I, I mean, this prison, though. <laughs> fair mm, i don't know it just it seems about the same but you know <laughs> um okay so she climbs in the truck it's not keanu reeves and they're gone um so we go to an old-timey newsroom at the washington herald okay and this is where we meet our other protagonist john the reporter and they say his name exactly one time, and then they never say it again, so he will also be known as Reporter Guy. Don't you dare miss it. <laughs> um, so our Reporter Guy is talking to his boss about the prison break, and his boss is like, hey, I know you're working on that big government corruption story, but let's put that aside because we can bust corrupt politicians any day. What we need to do is find this hot cop who maybe killed somebody. <laughs> well, that's a proposition I cannot refuse. And reporter guy's kind of like, huh? But, you know, I guess he was convinced because long story short, reporter guy goes back to his hometown in the 80s. And in January of 2019, I just got a news alert that there's no end in sight for the government shutdown. I personally hold John the reporter responsible for our current political climate. Uh, he was just being subordinate. You've got to blame his boss. Okay, I blame his boss then. There we go. Okay. We're back to Bambi. And so she and her boyfriend are going to Canada. 
and they're driving like through the border and border patrol kind of like raises an eyebrow at them you know they squint a little like "Mm." and so then the guy asks them like how long have you guys been married and they both give a different answer and that's all the border patrol guy needs he's like okay welcome to canada here we go i mean (laughs) men never know how long they've been married this is just accurate okay fine um so back in milwaukee reporter guy has um gone down to a protest for the freedom of bambi okay which to me she's already free but i mean she's running that's not like the same thing you're really mincing words at this point (laughs) she's in canada she's fine she's got her levi's and her leg warmers what more could you need yeah and her boyfriend. Um, is he so, cute? No. That's shameful. I mean, he's he looks kind of like Keanu Reeves if you squint a little, but I, I don't really find Keanu Reeves all that attractive. So, um, oh, okay. So reporter guy is interviewing this guy that used to know Bambi. He's at the protest because he knows she didn't do it. And guess what time it is? Flashback. Flashback time. Yes. Yay. Remember those? Remember like the '90s sitcoms where it'd be like, when they would go back in time. I don't remember, but if you sing it one more time, I might. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. Um, so pre-prison Lori, and I'm gonna strive to call her Lori from now on because it's just so much nicer than Bambi. Pre-prison, pre-prison Lori is teaching aerobics in like a sports bra and really tight shorts. Which I'm sure is completely necessary for the story to work. She, you must. Yeah, she needs to be showing as much TNA as possible for this story to all come together in the end. Fair. So some like gross like gym rat is hitting on her with her old like modeling photos from back in the day, and she like takes it out of his hand and like rips it in half, and the guy that's being interviewed by a reporter guy is. The guy, oof, that doesn't work. The guy from the protest. The guy from the protest that is being interviewed screams at the, like, gym rat, take a hike! (laughs) I wasn't alive for much of the 80s. By that, I mean only a year. I mean, I was two when the 80s ended. Did people actually talk like that? I mean, I was seven when the 80s ended. So, oh, no, I was six. No, I was seven. No, I, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. I was little. And I don't think so. But then I remember being in high school and watching this old, like, made-for-TV movie for something that we weren't supposed to do, like drugs or I don't know, so whatever. Um, and the guy's, like, trying to sell them drugs. And the two, there's, like, two boys. And one of them goes, wicked. And the other one goes, neato. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> <is that?" laughs> okay. So maybe? (laughs) Okay. Continue. Sorry. So he yells, take a hike at the gym rat. And then he turns around and he's like, but if you want to autograph my calendar, that'll be okay. That's just as skeezy. Right? And to make it skeezier, he's wearing spandex. Well, you have to. You're in an aerobicize class. But don't hit on 
whatever. <laughs> Don't hit on a girl while you're wearing spandex. It ruins all of your credibility. Tell that to Superman. Look, if Henry Cavill knocks on my door right now, <laughs> that will be the last thing that I tell him. Right? Or See? maybe the first thing. This this spandex sucks. Why don't you take it off? <laughs> Was not prepared for that tonight. I need another drink already. <laughs> okay. So, um, Lori is telling uh, Take a Hike Dude about wanting to become a cop. And he is just floored by this information. He literally looks at her and says, but people shoot at cops. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your contribution. You know, I kind of laugh um, when people that are in college and stuff are so nostalgic about the 80s. This was the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> rampant, rampant sexism. That was the 80s. So, but, you know, she has a good response. She turns around and she goes, I guess I'll just duck. <laughs> Because she's a badass. Yeah. Um. So take a hike, guys. Like, here, you should talk to one of her other friends. And he um, gives the name of her other friend, Jane, who is um, Exorcist Girl, Linda Blair. Gotcha. So a reporter guy meets Jane on the roof of a building. And she's super concerned because she's actually still a cop. And so she doesn't want to be fired for talking to him. Okay. But she starts to tell him about um, all the backstory of them in the academy. So it was Lori, Jane, and this other chick named Paula who are all at the police academy together. And we go, like, we cut, you know, flashback to the academy. And there are so many shots of these women bending over and stretching each other out. And I just can't. Like, like is this Lifetime After Dark where they're shooting a porno and then just didn't get to the punchline? <laughs> I don't know. It was really bad. I, and so was there course, like sexy music? Nah, 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 nah. Not sexy music, but there was wow, music. Wow, wow, wow. I don't think you know what sexy music is. That's 80s sexy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and so these three girls, they're like stretching together and, um, there's like a group of guys like standing around staring at them. And I mean, maybe it is the beginning of a porn. I don't know. But um, so she starts like pissing people off immediately for just being a woman and being at the police academy. How dare but she, she also starts calling these dudes out on their bullshit. And it's amazing. <laughs> Unacceptable. Mm -hmm. No, you're a police I mean, woman. They make quips about her and she has a comeback for everything. Um, one really good one is that she they're in roll call and they call her name like four times. And she's like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but finally somebody yelled at her and she was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought my name was, you know, hot ass or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was really funny. <laughs> so we are now to the part where Danny from the West Wing makes his debut. So and generally sorry. in a movie like this, I would just call him Danny from the West Wing. But A, I need to separate him from that role right now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and B, he is dressed like John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever for no discernible reason. Other than the fact that for the rest of this movie, they call him Disco Freddy. And I guess that's why. Um was it a Tuesday? Because everyone dresses like John Travolta on a Tuesday. 
Travolta Tuesdays is the thing. Duh. Hashtag start it now. <laughs> so, da, 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 da. yeah. He's dressed like um, John Travolta. It makes no sense. And then we're on to the next thing because this movie jumps around so much. Okay. Um, the girls are at a club and they're at like um, some kind of concert party, whatever. And one of them gets arrested for having a joint. Okay. And so that girl, that's Paula, she gets fired for having a joint, but she says she didn't have it. And then Lori also gets fired because while she was, while Paula was getting arrested, she was in the bathroom. So she filed a police report saying that she didn't know that Paula had a joint, but the guy in charge says, oh, but that's, you know, you were lying. I know that you knew. And it would be really sad, but instead of calling it marijuana or weed or whatever, they just call it dope. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, they call it dope. And so I can't take any of this seriously because I almost fell off my couch laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but really, she did get fired for no reason, and that sucks. Um, reporter guy is interviewing Paula, and we have another flashback. All this time travel, I'm a weary, weary woman. I'm like, I'm getting um, jet lag. For real. <laughs> um, we have another flashback, and it's Lori and Paula. They're fighting, like, after she gets fired. And Paula, like, they do this weird thing for 20 seconds where she's, like, touching her arm and her face and, like, smoothing her hair back. Like, she's kind of hitting on her. Like, Paula's touching but they Lori? Don't, yeah, but they don't ever make it a plot point, and they don't ever come back to it. It never comes back around. It's just this weird thing, and then it's over. A-plus writing. Yeah. So Paula says, oh, I, I know of a place we can work, and it's a strip club, because of course it is. Okay. I mean, that's but what my friend suggests all the time, but I only know of one place that will have me, and that's the crazy lady in Austin, Texas, because they specialize in weird-ass shit. <laughs> I don't even know if the crazy lady's still open. I don't either. The only strip club I've been in in uh, Austin is the Yellow Rose. Okay. I think that's what it's called. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly, it was a memorable experience. <laughs> um, but I guess Paula tells um, the reporter that Lori only worked there for six weeks and then she quit. So look at another plot point that has no real ending. Okay. Seems fair. And now for what everyone's been waiting for. Reporter guys in Florida where Disco Freddy lives now. Yes. Woohoo. I wish we could play like Saturday Night Fever over this. Is he dressed like Travolta? He's not, but he is wearing a Speedo. I'm I'm sorry. Say that, say that again. He is wearing a Speedo. No, he's not. <laughs> he is and that's why i can't equate him with danny from the west wing because i just mm -mm, okay mm -mm, no. is danny from the west wing at least passable in a speedo or was this a poor choice it was a very very <laughs> poor choice oh no <laughs> he's also got one of those porn stashes like it's just i look at the tv and i feel icky <laughs> <laughs> and also right off the bat i think he did it <laughs> just from his wardrobe never no trust other a man factor. in a speedo in a porn stash they are For always real. a murderer they are 
So he's interviewing Disco Freddy, and Disco Freddy's like, I know she killed Christine, and I know she would kill my hot new wife if she could. Does it show the new hot wife? Very briefly. Is she a new hot wife? Yeah, I mean, okay, she's way out of his league. So. Okay. Maybe that porn stash was doing something. <laughs> so flashback to Milwaukee when they're all police officers. Everything's good. Everyone's a police officer. Apparently the only criminals in Wisconsin are sex workers. Duh. <laughs> you didn't know that? No. I mean, the police station is just full of scantily clad women like rubbing up on cops and cigarette smoke. It looks like a dirty strip club, but I guess it's supposed to be like a police headquarters. It sounds like just any cut scene from Grand Theft Auto. That's a video game. Yes, I know it's a video game. <laughs> the look you gave me. I don't play Grand Theft Auto, clearly. I don't play any video games, but... um, So... Cut between, like, the police station and Christine and Fred. Like, they're in their bedroom and they're fighting. And she's like, you spend all the money. You're never here. You always smell like cheap perfume because of all the sex workers. I thought you were about to say you always smell like cheese. And this is a much better story. (laughs) It it is Wisconsin. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) They really like cheese up there. Really. Really, he loves cheese. Just a little dab behind his ears. Rub his wrist through some cream cheese. I will say I had some jalapeno infused cream cheese that changed my life this morning. I'm jealous. You should be. Okay, so they're fighting and Christine is mad. And so... Freddie does the only thing he can do, which is, you know, hit her. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. First you say I smell like cheese, now you get my fist. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So, okay. He hits her, so nothing he does for the rest of the movie can can salvage that fact. Um, He copes with the fact that after he beat the shit out of his wife, she requested a divorce by attending a wet t-shirt contest. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. I j- I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> a wet t-shirt contest in a public park where there are children. That's, that's not, that's not a thing. It apparently is a thing because <laughs> drunk Disco Freddy disappointed with how these women are performing in this wet t-shirt contest how dare they he jumps on stage and he starts to strip (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna make this thing work (laughs) that doesn't work (laughs) can feel my insides like No, Mm-mm. never been less turned on in my life. <laughs> and I've given birth. <laughs> okay. <sighs> okay. And this part is really painful. 
Oh, no. So Drunk Disco Freddy is stripping. And I'm going to get through this as quickly as possible. He jumps on the stage and he grabs the microphone. And he says, hey, who wants to meet Roscoe? And do you want to know who Roscoe is? I one time had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever named Roscoe. Is it my it dog? Is- not your dog my second guess is his dick it was definitely his dick oh you should have gone with a puppy he i wish he had i really wish he had we all do so there are children at this event i just want to point that out again okay so the somebody took pictures at this event and they like make their way around and so Lori's like hanging out at the cop watering hole i mean like you do i guess after you get fired and she gets a hold of the pictures. Okay. And she's like, oh, these are interesting. I'm just going to keep these. And so she takes them to the guy who fired her. And she was like, hey, why are you letting him do this? But it wasn't okay for me to do nothing wrong. I think that's a fair question. It's fair. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the police chief guy, I guess, is like, hey, why don't you give me those? And I'll do a thorough investigation into this matter right after I drop these in the shredder so that nobody ever sees them again. I mean, that's that's how you handle things, Aaron. You don't understand. You've never been a cop. And I've never been an HR either. But <laughs> Thank God. would <laughs> be the worst HR person. I don't know. You'd have so many good like, stories to tell me. You want to tell me about your problems? Let me tell you about my problems. Now shut the fuck up and go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So he really is like, oh, I'm totally going to investigate this. Wink, wink. I'm totally not going to investigate this. And so Lori fucking loses it. And I get it. I do. She storms out. She's standing in the middle of, like, I guess the courthouse slash police station slash, I don't know. It's a big fancy building, and there's a lot of cops and, like, important-looking people there. Like the municipal center or something. Sure, sure, sure. She stands out. She's in the middle of the hallway, and she's like, I'm going to sue you for discrimination, which she shouldn't have done that. I mean, she should have kept that a secret for a little bit. Don't show your cards yet, Lori. Maybe until she contacted an attorney and her attorney was like, hell yeah, I'm on board. But you do you, girl. It's not real until you make a scene. Everyone knows that. Look, I'm a professional at making a scene. Trust me. Um, Okay, so she does. She sues them for not firing Disco Freddy. And then for some reason, she starts dating Disco Freddy. Well, yeah, she saw his Roscoe. I guess if you can't beat him, sleep with him. I guess. Just okay. see my face. He's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of like soft lighting and they're holding hands and he's like making gross comments about the way that she looks and how he never takes no for an answer. Yeah, that should which be a would, red flag. It's a big sparkly red flag, A. And B, that would not fly in 2019. That's how a guy gets his ass kicked now. <laughs> no joke. Um. So then um, they're having sex in front of a fire. Uh, uh, is it inside <laughs> or outside? It's inside, like in a fireplace. It's supposed to be romantic. So Lifetime showed the sex or like. No, they just showed him like aggressively like pecking at her. 
which I guess was supposed to be like hot, but really it, he's very aggressive, but not in a sexy way. You, in a really gross way. I mean, you've told me about like seven very sexual scenes at this point. So I'm not sure you're watching the correct film. <laughs> Look, there's all these sexual scenes in this movie. And I have never felt less sexual about something in my <laughs> whole life. <laughs> Ever. It's real bad. Is it time for the music? Where, where, where? That music just makes it worse. Please stop. <laughs> Okay, so there's more soft lighting and there's dating. They hold hands and they have flowers and they dance in clubs. And um, he complains about his ex-wife a lot, which is super sexy. I'm so turned on right now. (laughs) (laughs) My ovaries just committed suicide, both of them. (laughs) They were like, I can't go on. Um, so Disco Freddy tells Lori he wants her to propose to him because that's also romantic. Um, I have several questions and most of them start with what the fuck? (laughs) So I guess she does because in the next scene, bing, bang, boom, they're married. Congrats, you two. Oh, I do want to point out that while they were having very aggressive sex in front of the fire... She didn't seem too into it until he was like, I've had a vasectomy. And then she was like, oh, yes, sir. And then she was into it. (laughs) Well, in that case, and the freak comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Yup. Whenever um, we're done recording, I'm going to go slip into bed next to Sarah, snuggle real close, put my chin next to her ear, and I'm going to go, I've had a vasectomy. And I'll let you know when my funeral is. You don't need to. I'm sure it'll be in the paper. <laughs> Yikes. Don't do that. Oof. Just don't. All right. We're back in Florida. Disco Freddy. He's now thrown like an open Hawaiian shirt over the Speedo. Getting dressed up. To really complete the ensemble. <laughs> Is he wearing some kind of fedora or equally awful hat? Not at this time, but I I assume that there's one in that house somewhere. <laughs> at least one. Um, He's complaining about how Lori seduced him and she tricked him into marrying her because us crazy, wily women, you know how we do. You and your vaginas yeah. making men do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Meanwhile, you guys wouldn't last longer than six weeks if we all disappeared. I appreciate the extra five weeks you gave me. <laughs> um, so back in Wisconsin, uh, Freddie and Lori are moving in together. And he is, you know, they're having like hot sex and complaining about he's complaining about child support and alimony and at ugh. the same time as the hot sex he's like no it's like interspersed <laughs> it's like we love each other but i'm mad i'm picturing like a, a situation where alimony is his safe word <laughs> oh no <laughs> i hope it is <laughs> okay so he's really just driving it home about how hard it is to support his own children. So they have a garden party to celebrate their elopement. 
um, kind of like a wedding reception, only way less classy. And um, she's talking about how, like, she's surrounded by a big group of people. That's Lori. And she's, you know, there's a big group of people. They're all telling her how happy they are that she and Freddie got married. And she just, like, jumps in and she's like, somebody should really kill Christine because child support is really expensive. That's also what I said at mine and Sarah's wedding reception. It's a tradition. <laughs> you wouldn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I've never been married. I don't know. I don't know things about weddings. Um, so there's this another small B plot that goes nowhere about Disco Freddy. He killed an off-duty cop apparently while in the line of duty. But again, it lasts thirty seconds, and then it, that's it. It doesn't come back. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Except, you know, now you know he can shoot somebody. So do with that what you will. Okay. So at this point, I can just imagine that they're like five days into filming and the executive producer like walks into the editing bay and he's like, hey, guys, we have an hour and 27 minutes to fill. Where are we at? And the editing guy is like, oh, we're at an hour and 10. And the executive producer is like, oh, fuck, I forgot half the story. So <laughs> so things start to move real fast at this point. Hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So Freddie is fighting with his ex-wife, Christine. He's fighting with Lori. He's fighting with Paula. He's fighting with Christine's new boyfriend. I'm going to interject and say that Christine has a new boyfriend. He does. She doesn't really make a cameo in this movie, but the boyfriend does. So good for her <laughs> and him. So reporter guy is interviewing like an old neighbor and he's talking about how um, Christine got the house and the divorce, but that Freddie built that house. And so he always considered it his house and he was really upset about it. So a few days before the murder, the alarm system at the house mysteriously breaks. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So he keeps making copies of, um, the keys to the house like he takes them from his kids while they're visiting him and makes copies of them and then he just shows up to the house when he's not supposed to be there oh um that sounds really sane right so one day christine comes home and she pulls in the driveway and he's in the garage and they fight and so he picks her up and like throws her over a car hood and says he'll blow her brains out oh Mm -hmm. that's that's not how you should go about it i'm guessing he's a really charming guy yeah he also beats the crap out of Christine's new boyfriend, like at the police station one night. Um, maybe he's you... like, "That's my wife." Aren't you remarried? What is your deal? Well, and may- maybe you could not bring your problems to the police station. Like, if you have a job where you are assigned a gun every day, maybe don't be crazy at work. Sure. So it's the night of the crime. Um, Freddie goes to work and he asks Lori if she's going to go out. She says no because she's bushed. She Say that again. She's bushed. What she's is, tired. <laughs> I, is that another it's, one of those 80s like take a hike, eight, I'm bushed? Yeah, yeah, it's an 80s word. Wicked. Neato. Neato. Okay. So Christine kisses her boyfriend goodbye. He goes to work. Um, she puts the kids to bed. Um, her, like, at, when they're in bed, like, the younger brother leans down over the bunk bed and he's like, hey, there's someone in the closet. Can I sleep with you? 
And the older brother's like, there's nobody in there, but yeah, come on down here and sleep with me. And so they, we just go right into the, the cold open again. So now they're trying to finish the last half of the story. They've got 17 minutes to use and they just recycled footage. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's an intruder in the house. Um, he ties up Christine really poorly. He tries to strangle one of the kids. The other wakes up and starts screaming. This time, Christine actually manages to get loose and she's trying to run away, but he shoots her before she can even get off the bed. Oh. And at this, like, this is one thing I really could have done without her kids find her and she's still alive. And it's horrible. No. It's really bad. But it only lasts for like 20 seconds because it's lifetime. Yeah, but I don't like it. I don't either. Um, so instead of calling 911, they call Christine's boyfriend, which I don't really get. But anyways, he runs home. He tries to save her, but she's already dead. He starts like screaming and he gets up and he's like, it was Freddie. So his girlfriend, has, his girlfriend's just died. And the first thing he says is it was Freddie. Yeah. Okay. Basically. I mean, I'm sure they condensed that down a bit because okay. he, there was a lot of screaming and crying first. But oh, right, right. Yeah. When the cops show up, he's like, it was Fred. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the police are on the scene and they're talking about how the murder is going to look really bad for the department. Um, and, um, what, as in like, because there was a murder or this specific murder, this specific murder. Um, I have several questions. <laughs> shouldn't they be concerned about any murder you would think but i'm pretty sure only like these cops only know how to arrest sex workers so they don't really understand how murder works gotcha gotcha so um yeah they're discussing that and disco freddy arrives um on the scene he's very dramatically upset about the whole scenario well yeah. But he doesn't he doesn't cry. You know, everyone grieves differently. Okay. When my granny died, I didn't cry. I mean, it wasn't a brutal murder of my ex-wife, but it took me Were like, you also like very just yelly and screamy but not crying? That's always me though. Okay. <laughs> so, also this weird thing happens in the scene and I can't figure it out if it was like purposeful. Or if they just couldn't get the actor to say your ex-wife is dead. And so after the 10th time he said your wife is dead, they were like, eh, leave it in. <laughs> because they keep referring to her as his wife. And he's literally married to someone else. Okay. Maybe, so the- maybe he's got two wives. It's not Utah. It's Wisconsin. (laughs) So the medical examiner arrives and he's like, hey, why'd you cover up this body before I got here? And they were like, this is a very sensitive case for our department. And he was like, "Um, yeah, why did you cover up this body before (laughs) I got here? (laughs) Um, So, but yeah. So at this point, something weird happens. I mean, not like this, the whole rest of this movie hasn't been weird, but right. something weird happens. Okay. The lieutenant in charge of this investigation 
tells Fred to go home to his own house to test his own gun to make sure it has not recently been fired. Oh, that checks out. Um, Aaron, I need you to go to your house and look under the couch and see if you stole this thing from Walmart. <laughs> and then just oh, come I... back and tell me yes or no. No. <laughs> see, she didn't steal it. I told you. First of all, I haven't been in a Walmart in years. <laughs> I was at one today and it was awful. Exactly. Okay, so... I guess Freddie is leading the investigation on himself. Good for you. Um, three weeks later, they find a wig that was flushed down the toilet in Freddie and Lori's old apartment building. Is is that not how you get rid of wigs? No. <laughs> right? I, I've been doing it wrong my whole Am I doing life. am I doing wigs wrong? One of us is. I'll text <laughs> I will tweet at Cher. She'll let us know. <laughs> I it, it's I okay. So they pull this wig out of the drain and they are like, oh, we should probably test Freddie's gun again to see if it has recently been fired. Because, I, I mean, that's how gunshot residue works, right? Well, okay. So when you were in school, did you ever have to take a spelling test? Yes, you of know, course. You had like a pre-test and then you had like a week to learn the words and then you had the real test. Freddie had to do the pre-test and if it didn't pass, then he had to take the real test. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> You're lucky I'm a time, teacher to explain yeah. tests to you. This time he passes the test because his gun has been fired. Congratulations. <laughs> and since he was at work and has an airtight alibi, it had to be Lori. So she's arrested immediately and charged with murder. Case closed. Let's go to happy hour, everybody. I'm really glad I didn't watch this movie. <laughs> I'm really glad. You should be. Okay. Um. So now reporter guy is interviewing the DA. So we get a nice flashback to the trial. Um. Her attorney suggests that they go after Fred because it will create reasonable doubt. He doesn't even think that Freddie will be arrested. He just wants to create reasonable doubt so she can go home. Okay. And she's like, no, I won't do that to my husband. I love him. Girl, he... you got to forget love. Mm -hmm. So we're going through the trial. And I just have to say, if this trial shook out in any way like it does in this movie, there is so much reasonable doubt a, an infant could have acquitted this woman. <laughs> it's horrible. So the kids both testify that it was not her and it could not have been her, that it was a man. Okay. The kids, like the eyewitnesses, like yes, Christine's children. Okay. The children, like one of them that was attacked. And so it was very, very close to this killer. Okay. They put all her friends on the stand and they talk about all the times that she says like, Oh, somebody should kill her, which I mean, that's not good, but I mean, we've all said that at some point, right? I have, I have texted you about people I want to kill. That doesn't mean I actually want to kill them. I don't actually want to kill anybody. I don't have the strength or the energy to kill anybody. <laughs> that I just don't have the time. Or the money to hire someone else to kill anybody. I just don't have it. It's just not there. 
very tired <laughs> all the time all the time um okay so then freddie gets on the stand and he makes a big show about the serial number on the gun and i i don't really understand this part but maybe it's like a police thing but he does say that um Lori didn't do it so good for you you asshole Lori then takes the stand in her own defense why um, I don't know, but she's dressed like a Victorian doll. What? I, I mean, ex- explain, please. She's wearing like a white ruffly blouse with like the black bow that goes around the neck and like ties in a pretty, you know. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? I know exactly what you're talking about. That's what I have in my closet for if I ever have to go to court. Do I need to get something else or am I good? I think you can pull it off. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, she cut okay, she's like half Victorian doll, half like what I looked like when my parents made me go to cotillion. Wait. Hold up. You buried the whole damn lead. You had a cotillion? Yeah. Oh my god. I went to cotillion for five years. I'm s so, I've never been more excited than I am right now. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Cotillion is where you go to the country club and they teach you how to behave in, like, Victorian society. Did you get to have your own coming out at the end? Yes. I'm so sad we didn't become friends until adulthood. I'm so sad. It was not like a big Deb party, but it was... I just whacked my face on my microphone. I'm laughing so hard. (laughs) It wasn't like a big dead party starring me. It was like for all of us. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I was not a debutante, but I was debutante adjacent. Yes. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm so red right now. <laughs> Thanks, podcast teach you about your friends. Okay. Um, right. So she's taking the stand in her own defense right before she goes to Cotillion. Um, <laughs> the attorney tries to pull like a big legally blonde moment. What do you, what do you mean? Okay. So you know how they, somebody, somebody flushed the wig down the toilet, right? Uh-huh. Was it a you permed should... wig? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it totally deactivated. <laughs> It deactivated the ammonium by <laughs> You shouldn't flush wigs down the toilet because that's fucking stupid. Right. I, I've mm-hmm. gathered that by this so point. So her, her attorney's like, Lori, I'm going to ask you a very sensitive question. He's like, when did you first get your period? And she says something. And he's like, so when your mom taught you about pads and stuff, did she teach you not to flush that stuff down the toilet? I guess equating the fact that she knows not to flush a sanitary pad down the toilet with the fact that any fucking moron knows not to flush a wig down the toilet. Okay, because my question immediately was, did he think somebody used the wig as a pad? No. <laughs> like, God, you went to the grossest place with that. <laughs> like, heavy flow, gotta get the big guns down. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I could not follow. That's just not the line of thought I would have ever had. I'm sorry. (sighs) 
Anyways, he did not get his moment outside the courtroom where he could say, any Cosmo girl would have known. <laughs> Which is a real shame. Um, um, I'm yeah. glad he didn't get any other moments, if that's if that's the attorney that he is. Uh, yeah, the, her attorneys were a bunch of idiots. Okay, so now there's deli- their jury is deliberating, and she's sitting in a room with uh, Freddie, and he, like, puts his hand on her shoulder, and he's like, you know, I could forgive you for killing her, but I could never forgive you for lying to me about it. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> no. <laughs> I question if he said this in real life, mostly because I've read the transcripts of shit that he said. But second of all, did Lifetime like really put their fingers to a typewriter or an old school word processor and <laughs> typed that and somebody read it, read it and they were like, yep, that checks out. It was super, I can just, I could see the gaslighting vapors. It was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but anyways, the, verdict comes back and she's guilty so they lead her out of the courtroom and here we are back in canada and she's dyed her hair brown and she's working in a coffee shop inside a bowling alley and these two dudes are like hitting on her but she can tell that they like know who she is okay so she runs home and she's like let's go so they're trying to pack up the car but the cops come first and they bring a lot of uh backup for two people do they think she may be like a mass of small army in Canada? So they're like, bring everybody. <laughs> All the flannel marching against the FBI. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's back in jail. And who does she meet with first? Um, Roscoe, trying to get that conjugal visit from Freddie. No. Um, okay, second guess is Elle Woods. <laughs> no, but that would have been amazing. <laughs> okay, I don't know. It's not a detective. It's not an attorney. It's not her gross ex-husband. It's the reporter guy. Oh, that's okay. That's who I'd meet with very first once I get deported back to jail. No, no, she's still in Canada. Oh, Canadian jail. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, So they don't get to wear street clothes in Canadian jail, but she is wearing a Canadian tuxedo. Which, which is a denim shirt and Levi's, so all <laughs> denim. The 90s were such a time when you could wear denim all over your body with those matching denim kids. <laughs> she's not wearing kids. She's wearing like Reebok sneakers, but. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's very 90s. <laughs> Are there any rhinestones or like no. bejeweling or bedazzling? Mm-hmm. I mean, on her jacket. No, they do not have a bedazz. They don't have the budget for a bedazzler in Canadian jail. Oh, damn it! Only in American jail, <laughs> because this is the land of opportunity. And bedazzle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the reporter is um, interviewing her, and he, she's like, "Let me go over the facts with you." And she says, okay, they sent him to check his own gun, which was dumb. But then nobody also, also nobody wrote down the serial number of the gun that they checked. Um, when he took the gun to the meeting with the upper brass, which I guess is like some kind of police term. I don't know. Um, they also don't write down a serial number. So they had two opportunities to, to not fuck up. And they still, they're like, you know what? Let's not do that one. Yeah. 
Okay. So then um, Disco Freddy's partner was in that meeting and he destroyed all of his notes from that meeting, which he doesn't do. It makes no sense. Okay. Um, then this next thing, I need to know if it's true. Okay. And I need to know if it's true. How does anybody in Wisconsin have a job in the legal profession? Oh, I can't wait. So she says, I never owned a green jogging suit, which is what I guess what the killer was wearing. Okay. And she says, I guess one of the key pieces of evidence was a photo of her jogging in this supposed green jogging suit. Okay. But the photo is black and white. (laughs) Do you want to know the answer right now? Yes, I do. Tell me right now. Because I can't imagine that anyone is that fucking stupid. I'm shuffling my notes loudly so people know I took this seriously. Um, you did. You wrote a. You you have a, a, a second master's degree now. Yes, yes, I did. It's um, been accepted by the board. Okay, so here is my quote, which I can't get into a whole lot because some of these people you never mentioned. So apparently they replaced them with made up people. Um, yeah. But I said. Um, Evidence presented in the case against her included a bunch of bullshit, including a black and white photo that clearly, obviously showed Lori definitely wearing a green jogging suit that she had never owned because red and green totally look different in a black and white photo. Any idiot knows that. Anyone does. That's not how black and white works. (laughs) I'm aware, but I'm not in Milwaukee to teach them. So that's it. I'm packing up from Louisiana. I'm moving to Milwaukee. They need me. They do. Um, have you seen Making a Murderer? That place is a mess. Oh, God. Um, okay. So she says, she then says that she had already um, moved out of the apartment when the wig was discovered. Okay. But her good friend Paula had come by to see the neighbor, the neighbor since then. And she used the neighbor's bathroom while she was there. So I guess she, like, did it. Um, I don't know. Okay. So her implication is that Paula flushed the wig. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So right now we just cut to Disco Fred. We haven't seen him enough in a Speedo. So now we get the full glory of him spread eagle on an inner tube in his pool. Oh, thank God. And he is still wearing, like, the Hawaiian shirt over it. It's, like, open. It's really bad. Fedora um, yet or Cuban cigar? No fedora. No, the fedora is by the, you know, on on the chaise. By know. the barbecue. Gotcha. Right. Yes. Um, The reporter and Lori have this, like, intense conversation where their faces are really close together. And he's like, well, maybe you didn't, but m- maybe you did it, but maybe you didn't do it. And so right then the... Um, Buddy, those are her only two options. Right. <laughs> Excellent reporting, sir. Swin's going to win a Pulitzer. I can feel it. Um, so right then the the uh, guard comes in and he's like, hey, your visit is over. And so they're leading her away. And the reporter says, hey, Lori, did you do it? Did you kill Christine? And she turns around and like stares at him for like 30 seconds. And that's how the movie ends. It's over. What? That's it. We fade to black. It's, it's done. 
Are you, are you sure that your like Wi-Fi didn't cut out or? Yes, I'm sure. I watched this movie more than once. Yes. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, not exactly how the book ends, but the book also just stops. Just stops. I don't get it. Uh uh-uh. uh I guess they really had to rush this one through production so they could get it on there. Right. Well, what I actually know... Ooh, I just hit my mic again. What I actually know is that the case wasn't over in 92. Like, things were still happening in 92. And so that's why it couldn't be over. Um, Right. Like, why it just had to stop. So, as you mentioned, I was going to read just three articles. I was just going to read the Mm -hmm. Wikipedia and then two related articles. That's my Mm -hmm. plan for all of these cases. In fact, I'm letting everyone know up front, this is unusual because I'm on Christmas break from school and had the time to read a whole book. True. Um, Because I also run a book blog where I read and review books for publishers. And so my reading time is usually taken up by that. But because Mm -hmm. it's break and I'm not working, I have the time. Um, which meant that I wrote a dissertation and you're all welcome. I'm going, your dissertation has been accepted. You, uh, you graduate in May. Very, very good. Um, I, I am going to trim it down and just hit for you the highlights because otherwise it would be in a three, three and a half hour recording. Okay. So Laurie Ann Bembenek, I always say her name wrong. Bembenek. Um, so her name was Laurencia and literally it's because when her parents called the Catholic priest in when she was born he was Italian and he wrote Laurencia because that's the Italian form that's why her name was Laurencia so basically the priest changed her name yep and no one argued because you can't argue with a priest it's in the law I have a friend from high school quick anecdote who um, when we all turned 16 and we're getting our driver's licenses, you know, you have to take your um, birth certificate uh-huh. and your uh, social security card. They didn't match. Oh, no. Like somebody had spelled her name wrong on her birth certificate. So for the first 16 years of her life, her name was spelled incorrectly on her birth certificate. Oh, no. And nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> and it took her like five months to get it fixed. Oh, my gosh. It was... It was for like, you know, a 16 year old girl that really wants her driver's license. It was hell. I felt so bad. for her. That's awful. (laughs) Okay. So at the top, I'm going to list my sources so that I don't have to list them again as I go through. Um, But so I started with Wikipedia and then I found a related article written by John Kays on newsblaze.com. I found an article written by Eric Gunn on Milwaukee Mag. He actually wrote a lot about her, but I just used one of his articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought I was done. And then I found that my library has this book, Run Bambi Run, written by mm-hmm. a journalist named Chris Radish. And so I was just going to pull a couple of quotes from that. And then eight hours later, I'd read the entire book. Nice. Um, Quick question. Is... One of your sources, John the Reporter from the Washington Herald. Uh, well, there is John Case who wrote for Newsblaze, so maybe that's him. Maybe. Hi, reporter guy. What it actually sounds like is that John the Reporter is this Chris Radish that wrote this book. Um, because she actually did a lot of legwork like that. Um, and it would not surprise me for anybody to have changed a badass woman to a man. Well, in this on IMDb, um, he's called John Garner. No, that's not a real person. 
Okay. Related to this, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was born. She's the youngest. Obviously, she was born. I don't know why I started with that. <laughs> <laughs> she was the youngest of three girls. Um, her dad was a cop, but he retired pre- while she was still pretty young. Um, he said that the Milwaukee Police Department was really corrupt and um dude for a white catholic (laughs) dude to say that that's a lot right so um just to like set the tone for the corruption one of the few like long quotes i'm going to pull from this book tonight um comes from run bambi run and she sets the scene of what 1981 is like that's the year that this whole thing goes down so she um Chris Radish says the Milwaukee police department had lots to worry about in 1981, a series of problems, including lawsuits and allegations of brutality had tainted their nationwide reputation as one of the finest police departments in the country. Um, And then it starts to talk about, and I'm just going to paraphrase that in one case, a local businessman had pulled over to the sidewalk to relieve himself on the curb and the, um, the police beat him up. And then he, the police covered up and said he tripped over one of their motorcycles when they were questioning him. What? Yeah. You know, like you do. A cop asked me a question and so I fall over a motorcycle. So then in another case, they um, took a a black man into custody that they suspected of rape. And they wound (laughs) up beating him until he was dead. And he wasn't even the actual rapist. Uh, I mean, perception is reality, right? Oh my god. Yeah, they they found the real rapist just a few blocks away from the crime. Hold on, like, what year is this? This is, it doesn't say what year, but this says all this has come to light in 1981. So it's 1981, so i just like to point out to all the people out there that think we've come so far in how we treat people that aren't white straight men that this headline could run tomorrow and would I would not, not question me. it. No, it wouldn't shock me at all. Mm-mm. No, it's awful. And um, that's hopefully the only political statement I'm going to make today. Besides the <laughs> other thing that I already said. Right. <laughs> that same year, a, um, a retired police officer came forward to say that while he was still on duty, the police had shot a man named Daniel Bell in the back and then when he was dead, they put a knife in his hand so that they could say in the report that he had a knife and that they had to shoot him for defense. Again, another headline that could run tomorrow. Yep. Wouldn't shock me. Yep. And so the police chief at the time, his name was Harold Breyer, and he was a piece, an alleged piece of shit. He was a natural <laughs> douchebag. He, he was a 100% <laughs> garbage. Um, but he kept calling it his department and he didn't like when people questioned how he ran his department. So that's the only time that works when you're like, don't question how I raise my children. That's the only time that works because you actually created them or adopted them. Right. But they're actually yours. They legally belong to you. So Laurie had um, gotten an associates in fashion merchandising and then she decided... Oh, that's so cute. I know. She's like Elle Woods. She is. Um, but after she got her associate's degree, she uh, modeled for a while. But she was actually mm-hmm. a really like strong-willed feminist. She ha- did not enjoy modeling because she felt like it was demeaning her brain to mm-hmm. make money off of you know her beauty. Um, and so she wrote like had some really strict rules for herself about what how she would model... Um, 
And finally, she realized modeling just wasn't her thing. She wound up applying for the police academy. Um, I mean, that's quite a shift, but good for her. Right. I mean, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Right. You don't have to do something just because you're hot and good at it. Right. Exactly. Um, so part of her feminism is she had kind of a superhero complex. And mm-hmm. and so she wanted to be a cop so she could make a difference and help people. It was really noble. Um, really sweet. Yeah. So she... Uh, I hate Disco Freddy. Sorry, I just yes. had to say that one more time. Yes. So she... Um, in her autobiography, she wrote about while she was in her police, in the police academy that the department was full of brutal, lazy, apathetic, and corrupt police officers. Um, and then she claimed... She was probably on her period when she wrote that. Probably. Good thing she had that wig. <laughs> and then um, she also stated in that autobiography that women and minorities were often harassed and abused. She stated that women and my- minorities were punished very severely for very minor infractions while the other officers could get away, like while the white male officers could get away with very, like very big offenses and weren't even punished. Uh, we've come so far from those days. Yes. Glad we're moving forward. Yeah, truly, this is the the 21st century. Um, So while she was in the academy, uh, she had this long term boyfriend. They'd been dating four years. And when she decided she wanted to be a cop, he like pieced the fuck out. He was like, that's not a job for women. And she was like, well, then maybe he was the guy that was taking aerobics from her. (laughs) Maybe. Take a hike. (laughs) Well, she told him to take a hike. So they broke up and she had like they had paid for a hotel room in Florida Mm -hmm. and like saved up for this trip. And so she decided to just go. And um, she there's a whole song about that. now. Right. It's called it's called Drunk on a Plane. It's actually really good. (laughs) So she had met this girl, this woman named Judy Zess. Mm -hmm. um, And Judy Zess became her hashtag bestie like pretty immediately uh, how about hashtag zesty this is why i have you in my life <laughs> this is why so i just hit my face on my microphone again you've done that like three times <laughs> i know so um her and zesty go to florida together mm-hmm. oh i forgot to tell you if i am casting this movie Oh, yes. My dream cast. Laurie is played by a young Jean Smart. Do you have photos of her somewhere? Oh, yeah. So if you go into our blog, I have photos of everybody. Um, okay. Don't open the folder yet that says track party. Because uh, okay. that becomes important later. And I don't want to ruin the surprise. I'm a little afraid. Yeah, you should be. But you can click uh, Laurie. Um Oh, she's very pretty. She's also wearing that same Victorian ruffly Victorian cotillion outfit. Uh-huh. Um, but she also, she looks like a young uh, Princess Diana. She which does. Which I really like. Mm-hmm. She does. And I didn't think about her when I cast Jean Smart, but I'm sticking with Jean Smart just because I like Princess her as Diana would have never been in your movie. No. Um, anyway, so um, Judy Zess, if I'm casting her... I'm casting Emily Burgle. She was in Gilmore Girls. She was Francie who like led the puffs and she was in Desperate Housewives, which her character's name was Beth. I didn't watch a whole lot of that, but I watched the hell out of Gilmore Girls. I have never really been able to sit down and watch Gilmore Girls. I I can only get through a couple of episodes. Um, The older I get, the more I agree with the grandmother. And so the show has lost its appeal to me. (laughs) 
That I think is the problem. Oh, she's in Shameless now. Oh, okay. I don't watch. I don't watch Shameless, but I know people who do. So. Right. Like I get asked all the time. Oh, do you watch Shameless? And the answer is always no. But right. So I guess she's in this. Okay. That's who I'm casting as Judy. Um, but while they were there, one of the guys that Judy just hung all over for the whole trip, like she met him down at the pool, and then she spent the whole week hung on him. Um, he pulled Laurie aside and he said, you need to watch out for her. There's something funny about her. It's like, she's obsessed with you. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. And so Laurie didn't like pursue that line of questioning to see what he meant. She just noted it as something odd and then immediately forgot about it until the trial started. And that's when she remembered this whole situation. Right. I'm a little bit too late. Right. When hindsight is 2020. For sure. So, um, she got back from Florida and she was investigated pretty immediately because people were already calling in false reports about her and all saying all kinds of really awful sexist things toward her. Um, for the sake of time, there were many situations in which she was called really derogatory things. Um, there is one time and I hate this term, please don't kill me for saying it because it's in the book and I have to, but, um, one of her, co-police officers called her the dumb cunt that was a brave motherfucker because i will tell you what i don't get very bent out of shape over calling me names or whatever but if you call me a cunt you better be ready to fight me because and she had a fucking gun like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah so and that was like in front of their supervising officer so it's not like this was just happening under the radar the people in charge of her were witnessing it and often were participating in it that's disgusting yep so when she was people are all trash she was finally assigned to like a district to patrol while she was in training Mm -hmm. and things were awful there. She just took more and more abuse. And at the end of it, the guy who was put in charge of her pulled her aside and basically said, I'm putting my ass on the line for you. Um, but I want you to know, since you've been such a good sport about this, um, the chief told me to treat you awful. So you just quit because he doesn't want to have to fire you. It's really sad that the, and I, I think it, what he did was good, but it's really sad that he only did that because she was a good sport about people treating her like shit. Well, like, here's the thing. If somebody came to me and they're like, Hey, we're hiring a new girl, be an asshole to her. I could personally be like, no. Right. Or I could say, okay, I'm on it and then not do it. Right. You have other options yeah so it's just it's really bad so on july 25th she finally graduates from the police academy Mm -hmm. and she is given her own like a new district to work it was the second district and um this i want to read directly from my notes because these are pulled from all of the articles um she said in her writing that um she was taken aback by everything she saw squads would meet up in the cemetery after it was closed just to chat and hang out. That's where the criminals are. Yeah. Listen, we have a very important, it's there's a crime happening. People are, there are dead people here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't understand. Um, she claimed that the overnight officers would like 
lean the seat back in their car and fall asleep for three and four hours on their shift. You know, being a cop is hard. Sometimes you just need a nap for four hours. <laughs> right. I think that's a coma at that point. <laughs> so they're she... like, they're like little kids. They need their nap or else they'll be very cranky. She said that her coworkers would pull their cars into like inconspicuous places and then they would have drinks together on shifts. The ones who weren't in their cars, the ones who like patrolled on foot would walk into bars and the bartenders would give them drinks. I think of like the top three careers where you definitely shouldn't be drinking on the job. I mean, you shouldn't be drinking on the job anyway, but definitely if you're a doctor, if you're a firefighter, if you're a cop or a pilot or a pilot, <laughs> just Keep the sauce for after your shift, right. please. Um, she claimed, let's see. Oh, she had witnessed some of them selling porn from the trunks of their cruisers. Uh, she said that um, officers would go and hook up with women who were like in the beat they were patrolling while their wives were at home. So they would use work as a chance to go and sleep around. I don't know what cops are doing in Milwaukee that they have all the downtime. Right. I mean, do what you do, but maybe not then during your shift. Right. Right. Like what's, uh, what happens if you let a murderer get away and you're like, sorry, boss, I was having sex. Like I... speaking of having sex, they, they would go and, um, pick up sex workers and get blowies in their police cars. Okay. Uh-huh. And then sometimes arrest them and sometimes not. I mean, of all the things you're telling me, that's really the least shocking. Uh, no, I know. Um, they were really brutal to suspects. I know. Shocker. Yeah. I'm really surprised. They, um, she saw some of them selling or doing drugs while on duty, and they were gotta stay awake somehow if you can't get your four-hour nap <laughs> they were paying their informants with drugs and i don't know why this one hits me as the worst but like people who would cause accidents drunk driving were allowed to walk away free because they didn't want to file extra paperwork i mean at least they were letting them walk instead I, of drive i i don't know that that's the positive we should find in in any of this i'm just trying to find a positive i appreciate the optimism <sighs> so that's what she walked into um and she said there was nobody she could tell and i get that like my dad was a cop for 12 years i know that they work on this like good old boy system you watch mm -hmm. my back i'll watch yours and and even the good ones who aren't doing anything wrong kind of adhere to that code yeah. Um, now, the good ones obviously wouldn't let shit like this fly. Right. But that is like an unwritten code of police officers. It's like being in a fraternity of its own. Right. It's so, really sad. Oh, yeah. It's awful. So, um, she graduated from Academy July 25th. A month later, she called in to get her work schedule. And the operator who answered the phone was like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, you got fired. You're not coming in. Cool. Surprise. That's that's how that's she That's a really me. bad way to get fired. Yeah. It's like getting broken up with on a post-it note. So she goes in to see why she got fired and it 
Co- and it goes back to in May, she'd gone to a party with hashtag Zesty mm-hmm. um, or to a concert rather. And just like in the movie, Zesty got busted smoking dope <laughs> at this concert. And um, Laurie was nowhere around. She mm-hmm. even like was willing to be subjected to drug testing, whatever, to prove her innocence. But she found out in her personnel record that Zesty had said, Oh no, Lori lied. She was smoking pot with me. And the, what a bitch. Uh huh. Yeah. That's, I took you to Florida. Right. And this is how you repay me. Um, so the chief was like, well, we heard it from Zesty. She did pot. We can't trust Lori. So they fired her because she filed a false police report saying she'd not been involved in the situation. Wow. So, um, so she like really spiraled into the stark depression. Nobody could hire her. Nobody mm-hmm. would hire her because of this. And mm-hmm. she, um, the only job she could get was babysitting for, uh, a, a, another police officer who was a single mom. Um, and so it's not Thank like, you. yeah, it's not like that woman had a lot of money to spare, you know? Right. So, um, cause police just make bukus of money. They do. Um, She said in this quote, my life seemed to be falling apart. I tried to pick up the pieces to stabilize, but I couldn't. And y'all, I feel that. I have been there. so sad. But, um, so she signed up for unemployment. And when she got her personnel file, she filed a grievance with the police union to try to get her job back because she Mm -hmm. thought, she'd been let go unfairly um why would she think that right right so she um when she reads this file and sees that zesty lied about her she at least didn't take it sitting down like she went and confronted judy about it Uh and so ben judy was like um when they kidnapped or when they arrested me i was drunk and they questioned me for hours and they coerced me into saying that you were doing drugs with me that they would reduce my charges and whatever and so and that very well may all could have happened cuz it could have but also i see like a huge problem here uh-huh are we just taking look you can't consent to sex when you're drunk you can't consent to marriage when you're drunk technically like but you can sign a full confession for a crime right or you can turn someone else in for a crime when you're drunk right that doesn't make any sense she said she'd been under interrogation for hours and you and i both know from the large amounts of true crime we have consumed that there have been tons of false confessions under circumstances like that I can hear that knuckle on the desk in cereal right now. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So, um, she receives a letter from the police union that says, um, they're dropping her grievance and there's no reason why. Um, mostly because the police department's out to get her is really why. And I would love it if her letter said that. Right. I mean, because at this point it wouldn't even surprise me if they just, you know, sent her a letter that said, we're dropping your grievance because we don't like you. Right. I think she would have appreciated that. Like the person I've gathered Lori is from all of this reading. I think she would have appreciated that more than anything. Right. So then she gets a letter from, um, 
unemployment that because her grievance is being dropped that um she has to go back for a new hearing for unemployment they have a representative of the police department there and he says that she was arrested at the same time as judy even though there's no arrest record and unemployment's like yep you're right since you're wearing a badge and she's not anymore i'm gonna believe you and i don't think that's how being arrested works and right no it's not and so they cut off her unemployment and demand she pay back the $2,500 she had gotten so far. Yikes. So now she's only got her babysitting job. And Zesty says, well, we're both broke. Why don't we move in together? And so they do. And then Zesty's like, you know what else? We should go work at the Playboy Club because the tips are good. And so Laurie does. And she says it's one of the Laurie worst. Laurie needs new friends. She says it's one of the worst mistakes she ever made like later in life she said it haunted her forever but she being a feminist she channeled her glorious steinum is what she said <laughs> nice <laughs> and um went to work meanwhile zesty decided that she didn't actually want to work at the playboy club so sure. she started calling all the guys that she was hooking up with and telling them that she was pregnant and asking for 200 dollars to pay for the abortion and so she would just walk around fistfuls of money how many guys was she sleeping with for this to be a viable <laughs> career? I remember reading a number, but I don't remember what it was now. Was it enough to like pay her bills for real? Yeah. Yikes. Zesty through the course of the story has a lot of people that she hooks up with, which is fine, but My... maybe don't lie to them about abortions. Right. I mean, you do you. And My grandmother would have some sage advice for Zesty. <laughs> And that is, if you don't want to get pregnant, you have to hold an aspirin between your knees. I was just about to say that. My mom says that. Yep. So, um, so while all this is going down, Lori comes into the ownership of these photos. And I want you to click in the drive on the tracks party folder. These are I the don't want to. These are the pictures she collected from an actual nude party that happened in the actual park. Do I have to? Yeah, uh-huh, because good old uh, Disco Freddy oh is there. So He's so naked. I've named them. I've named Freddy's Freddy, so Roscoe? you'll know who he is. <laughs> His Roscoe is hiding underneath a post-it note, so there's that Thank at least. God. Um, if you look through the pictures, there's some pretty wonderful ones. I personally prefer the guy who's ripping his dick off. Yeah, well, okay. How... First of all, oh, I thought it was a tattoo. It, it's just my cursor. <laughs> Second of all, how big is this photo blown up that it takes several post-it notes to cover his crotch? So um, I do want to give a shout out. This actually came from a different website I haven't mentioned yet. LaurieBimbanic.blogspot.com. And that guy looks like he is going to rip his own penis off. <laughs> He's trying. He's done with it. That is frightening. So this blog Be is... Be nicer to it, dude. This blog is like a, a... What do they call them? Like a a home investigator or a, or a desk investigator. Like an armchair detective? There, yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. An armchair detective. Oh, I see, I see nips. 
so many nips. Oh, yes. All the nips. Um, so this blog is trying to identify all the people in these pictures. And they've actually identified, I think, most of them by this point. And a reporter from the time commented on this blog and helped fill out some of the faces. And one of them where the girl, like one of the nip girls, you'll see a guy in the bottom left corner circled. And he is like, it might be the first time he's ever seen a woman. I want you to find this picture. <laughs> oh yeah. He's definitely never seen a woman without her clothes on before. <laughs> so <laughs> also this particular woman has those, um, tan lines you know like the kardashians are wearing their swimsuits right now like where they're way high up on their uh-huh. like, the street who who decided that was attractive it's not it's not <laughs> listen you do you boo um so do you with clothes on so this is the stack <sighs> i'm of traumatized <laughs> this is the stack of photos that Lori actually got um or some of them and so she took them to the EEOC, mm-hmm. the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, to open mm-hmm. a suit against the police department because mm-hmm. she said, look, these are some like of the more powerful or higher ups in the police department. Uh, Fred Schultz was an investigator, uh, like was a detective. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of a revered position. Um, and right. He can get away with this, but I got fired because somebody said I was allegedly smoking pot. Like, mm-hmm. why are these things so inequitable? And so the um, the guy in charge of her suit basically admitted that she has a really good case, but she needed to turn those pictures over to the police department. So she did. And did she make copies? Somebody did, obviously, somebody or I wouldn't did. be looking at these. Right. <laughs> um, but so uh, and I'm pretty sure they filed those right into the paper shredder, as you said. Always keep the negatives. Yep. So um, it was during this time of instability, the lawsuits just starting and all that, that um, Laurie meets Fred Schultz. He is um, currently sleeping with the um, woman that she's babysitting for. That's how they met. Okay. And so uh, apparently police only know other police because we find... This whole social ring is just police. Yeah, I I think that is a, I think that is really a thing where they kind of stick to themselves. And I will equate it back with you know you know college life. Like Greeks mostly date Greeks. Right. I mean, my except w- me, I don't date Greeks. My <laughs> wife was in our. We don't really have a sister organization, but like mm-hmm. on campus, they were kind of like our sister organization. So right. Um, so I get it. But We're not allowed to have a brother organization. They can't. Because feminism. <laughs> <laughs> they can't because they're actually a fraternity and not a sorority. Yes, us too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. We're technically a fraternity. I mm-hmm. thought so. What is she? She's uh, SAI. It's a music fraternity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we were founded in 1852 and that's before the word sorority was a thing. Uh-huh. It was still considered a fraternity. Mm-hmm. You're a FIMU? Yeah. Thought so. Um, anyway, so um, she really hated Fred when she first met him. And he was immediately drawn to her, probably because she hated him. Like, I think he saw a game in it all. 
You only want what you can't have. And so he kept telling her how beautiful and how hot and how wonderful she was. And he (laughs) basically told her the same thing that he doesn't take no for an answer. And she kept pushing him away. And then one day she just didn't push him away anymore. Mm -hmm. I wish she had. I know. She said this thing about him that, oh, by the way, if I'm casting him, have you ever seen Live PD? No. Oh, he's Dan Abrams. He's the host of Live PD. Hold on. Anyone who's watched it will recognize him for his medium sweaters. He's a beautiful man. What is a medium sweater? You know, it's not small, but it's not medium. And it's too tight. Oh, okay. Where is this guy? Oh, he was in Zoolander. Was he? Mm-hmm. Huh. Ooh. Yes. That's an attractive man. Yes. So I know you have only seen Naked Freddy, but when he has clothes on, he was not a bad looking guy. He was actually a very attractive guy. Um, okay. And Laurie said even more than that. Look, I- this guy is good looking, but I would still take, I need you at some point to cast young Joe Kenda in one of your films. He's cast in every film. <laughs> <laughs> that guy is so hot. I, oh, he's so hot. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. It's like the only reason I watch Joe Kendo. <laughs> so um, she says about Fred, I was drawn in by his overwhelming personality. He was manipulative and consuming, but he was also the life of any party he went to. And he allowed me to forget my depression for a while. Mm, and that's just that's really sad. Yeah. So they meet in November. His divorce has just been finalized. No, they meet in early December. His divorce was finalized mm-hmm. in November. Um, by January, they have eloped to Illinois and are married. Illinois? It's, that's where true love goes in the Midwest. I thought true love always went to Vegas, but okay. I, I, it was a different time. Okay. So they go to Jamaica. They have their first like big falling out in Jamaica. She sees that he's actually kind of dangerous and angry. Before they went to Jamaica, they had moved all their shit into mm-hmm. Judy Zess's apartment. Like they are now all living together. And That's romantic. Yep. And so Judy comes to pick them up from the airport and she has brought the man that she's been seeing this week. And his name is, I kid you the fuck not. Gene, Gene, the dancing machine. Do we have any background on this nickname? <laughs> no. And would it any up- reason at all why they would call him this? <laughs> when it popped up in the book, I was like looking for footnotes, anything I could find. <laughs> no. Right. Um, oh man, that I, is. Yeah. I choose to believe that he's actually a really awful dancer. Okay. <laughs> I'm on board. So. So her and Jean Jean the dancing machine threw a wild party while mm-hmm. they were gone and they're being evicted from their apartment. So the three of them have lived together. Judy and the couple have lived together for exactly a week and they were evicted yes. and the couple didn't even get to spend that week in their apartment. Wow. Uh-huh. So that's, I mean, that's quite the, uh, honeymoon. Uh-huh. 
So they move out. They go get a different apartment while they're all living together. Judy makes mention of how often Fred calls that he calls an obsessive amount of times every night Mm -hmm. that if Laurie doesn't answer, he starts questioning immediately where she is and who she's with and when she's going to be back and what it's only because he loves her. That's right. That's how newlyweds work. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I called Sarah's friends and asked her non asked them nonstop where she was always. Yeah. I believe it. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, when he was home with her, um, all he could do was talk about his ex-wife. He was just obsessed with her. Yeah. So, um, some time has passed, like a year has passed since she's opened her case. Mm-hmm. And uh, Zess has finally agreed to like help. She makes mm-hmm. an official statement to the EEOC about um, how she lied about um, Laurie's arrest. Laurie has also collected a bunch of statements from other people who have been let go unceremoniously. So mm-hmm. within a year, she has statements from five black men, four white women, three black women, and one fat white guy who were all fired for no reason. That's never going to win a lawsuit. She needs like an upstanding, super fit, blonde, white dude to make her case. Oh, that's and what, he also has to be straight. That's what they tell her. Cool. Yeah. They basically tell her that her case is never going to win um, without her finding somebody who did the exact same thing that she was accused of doing. And then he like that person admitting that he did it. And then he didn't get fired for it. Cool. Yeah. So real easy is what I'm telling you. Like super simple. She just learned to ride the bike while the bike is on fire. The ground is on fire. You're on fire. And everything's everything's on on fire. fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, meanwhile, things at home are sucking. She, um, She's doing laundry one day. She picks up a pair of his pants and she goes to like, I'm imagining she's digging for change because the rule in my house is whoever does laundry, if they find money in the pockets, then it's your money. Yep. Uh, so I think that's, that's the rule in everybody's house. That, that's what she's doing. I'm convinced. But instead of money, she finds his wedding ring to Christine, which he carries around with him all the time. Oh, see, here's exactly the kind of bitch I am. I'd be like, oh, it's mine now. Going to the pawn shop. Bye. No joke. Um, So they have a big. This is a lot of change. They have a big fight about it. And um, he gets aggressive, but he doesn't hit her yet. Um, And what a what a what a stand up guy. Right. So he apologizes the next day by taking her to Florida. And listen, as you do, I'm not saying that Florida makes everything better. But if Sarah wants to take me to Disney World next time we get in a fight, I'm not going to turn it down. Sarah has no time for your bullshit. (laughs) I know. And she's stuck. Like, she picked this life. Y'all pray for Sarah. (laughs) Um, So, she, when they come back from Florida, they find that Zesty has pulled a Phoebe and is, like, slowly moving things out of their apartment. I'm just taking it to get rewired. <laughs> exactly. So that's when she finds out that um, Zess is moving in with this guy, Tom Gartner. Thomas is super like 
buff bodybuilder. He was a former Mr. Wisconsin. I can't find any pictures of him. And that's because he was arrested pretty soon after this for pretty severe drug charges. And so I'll like, that means they revoked his title of Mr. Wisconsin and all that bullshit. Oh, right. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, she, Laurie was really suspicious of him because she never saw him go to work, but he lived this really lavish lifestyle mm-hmm. and she couldn't figure out why. And one day he said it's cause he had a big inheritance, but then she opens the fridge at his house one day and finds that big inheritance is code for lots of marijuana. Maybe he inherited all that marijuana. <laughs> you don't know. I don't know. Maybe grandpa was like, and to my favorite grandson, <laughs> I leave all the marijuana in Wisconsin. <laughs> all the dope. Everything the light touches belongs <laughs> to you. So, yes. So, um, Tom also starts to tell, like, he's been telling everyone how he hates cops and he especially hates Fred. And so, um, Laurie goes to Judy and she's like, listen, I don't really like Tom. I, and I don't think you should be with him. I don't like that he's caught up in all these drugs. And I told your mom you're moving in with him. And that's when Judy goes, yeah, well, your husband killed someone. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> so this is the first time Laurie's ever heard of Fred allegedly killing someone. And according to Judy, he just like walked in. Go ahead. It's not the first time I've heard of it because I watched this movie. They talked about it for exactly 25 seconds. (laughs) Well, uh, it's a little bit longer in the book, but Judy's story is that he just walked in and opened fire on an off-duty police officer and then like blew into the barrel and walked out. (laughs) At this point, I would believe that. (laughs) Right? Fred's story is that he got called to... Um, a bar that was actually not even in Mil- uh, in Milwaukee. And so he was out of his jurisdiction. But um, So why did he get called there? So he said that the person had called the wrong police department. But that still doesn't explain to me. Right. But if I call the Dallas police department from <laughs> San Antonio and request officers to come to a scene... Doesn't San Antonio call Dallas PD and then Dallas send somebody? The the other way, yes. Dallas calls San Antonio and then San Antonio should, yes. Yeah, oh, sorry. Uh Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you what I read. So his story doesn't make sense in that aspect, but he goes in, he finds this person bent over a body that's on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, So they walk in, he and his partner who's a rookie they go in with guns drawn the guy stands up he's got an automatic pistol or something he says some Mm -hmm. bullshit that i remember reading and going that's not a thing (laughs) Um, and maybe i just misread it because it might have said semi-automatic but in any case right um, he grabs the gun and he puts it to the rookie's chest and so fred in an attempt to save his partner's life just opens fire on the guy the guy winds up being a um uh, an off-duty cop who's gone bad. He was Tom's best friend, but he's also running drugs for Tom. Um, and Fred says, you don't need to worry about it, sweetie, because the department did an investigation and I was cleared of the charges. Oh, wow. How about that? <laughs> because- I can't even imagine how terrible having to live through that scenario must have been for you, Freddie. Right? Um, it's Go fuck yourself, uh-huh. Freddie. 
<laughs> so we never really know what the true story is because Milwaukee Police Department will just back up whatever the fuck he says. Well, and I think at this point they kind of have to. Right. Um. So... Because now they've gone too far. They can't go back and be like, okay, like we screwed all of this stuff up. Right. So the only other thing that I really want to read to you uh, comes from Run Bambi Run. And it's a letter that Laurie sent to Judy after they have their big blow up and they are officially done. Donezo. They are ex-BFFs. Are you ready? Ex-Zesties. Are you ready? Hit me with it. Judy. First of all, I don't know. (laughs) She starts with, first of all, look, if you're ever fighting with a woman and she says, first of all, just leave the premises. (laughs) That bitch is prepared. (laughs) She's about to take you down. (laughs) First of all, I don't know how you can pull something like this to come home from Florida and find half of your stuff moved out. And then we don't hear from you for another two weeks, not knowing whether or not you're going to pay the next half of rent. When we got this place, we were also considering you because you didn't have anywhere to go. Fred wanted to get a small one bedroom, but no, she says in all caps. (laughs) I said, let's help Judy out. Just like we're coming home from our honeymoon and you tell us we get evicted. Are you going to run from one landlord to another from now on? We signed a year's lease. You signed it too and then conveniently stayed in Delafield while Fred and I moved everything in here. The only reason I talked to your mom was because I was concerned about you because I know you impulsively rush into things without thinking. I didn't bad rap Tom. I just think I'd be afraid of someone that big. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't... (laughs) I mean, she already knows he's running drugs at this point. Maybe that... Oh, no. uh, She says later... Um, besides anyone who hates the cops that much obviously isn't advocating decency and good moral law and order. And I'm not even referring to drugs. I don't care about victimless crimes, but I do care if my friend could be a victim. Laugh if you want, but I'm just telling you cheap tactics. The only reason I didn't want to move in with you before is because I was afraid of something like this. And Jan Bowman warned me about living with you. So she proved me wrong. Megan told me you were a bitch. She was right. Thanks. Thanks for the foil and the sugar. Here's money for your suntan oil. Freddie forgot to leave for you before. Love, Laurie. Okay. I'm sorry. There's a P.S. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> P.S. What happened with Tom's best friend? Strange. I thought he hated cops. And Freddie shouldn't have anything to do with you and me. If Tom convinced you otherwise, don't be so impressionable. P.P.S. No. Cheap tactics is using all my dishes for your dinner, making a huge mess, and then leaving it all as if to say, fuck you. Oh, you better change your court hearing to another judge other than Seifert. Is that it? Is there no PPPS? <laughs> nope, she's Can done. I talk now? She's okay. <laughs> How old is Lori? Uh, 13. <laughs> <laughs> 
you say that jokingly, but I think that's true. I don't think anyone in this town is over the age of 16. Um, I think they've got to be at least 17 if they're hiding behind billboards to drink together. Milwaukee seems like a cross between Gossip Girl and Toddlers and Tiaras. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. It's very confusing. <laughs> I'm real. Like if you told me that this whole scenario took place at the high school for mean girls, I would believe it. Uh. <laughs> Is the high school for mean girls in Wisconsin? Um, Can somebody fact check that for us? Maybe this is Degrassi. <laughs> uh huh. So, so all this happens, and then this is when things start to like boom, 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 move. So boom, boom, boom. So um, they move into a small efficiency. Um, her parents come to help her pack up while he's at work. When they um leave she goes to sleep and that night um or when they leave she gets like a billion phone calls from freddie before she goes to sleep Uh he's like obsessively calling her and to like to a new degree and that sounds exhausting right and so she finally falls asleep around midnight um about three hours later she gets a call from freddie and he says christine has been shot so I am going to now skip over to Christine because it's her death. Like she's kind of should be the important one in this story. Yes. So Christine and Freddie had been married for 10 years before they got divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, Along the course of their divorce hearings, um, she says, she tells her attorney that just recently he threatened to blow her fucking head off. Um, he was aggressive and abusive basically when he left her friends all like got together and waved bye because everyone hated him um she had started to date the guy that he was roommates with like when he left her and before he met uh, Laurie he lived with this guy named Stuart who was also a police officer Mm -hmm. and so she was dating him um at this point and um, they had these two really sweet kids. Everything I've read about them just breaks my heart. And, you know, Aww. I just think all kids are sweet for the most right. part. Like, I love why you're all. a teacher. <laughs> um, but so they had these two sons, Sean and Shannon. They were like 11 and 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they weren't little, little, but they were little. Yeah. Um, and so um, Christine also said she told her attorney pretty recently that she felt like she'd been being followed a lot. And she said she thought it might be internal affairs from the police department. So Fred made it no secret that the only reason he married her was because he got her pregnant. Well, that's romantic. Uh Uh-huh. He's two for two in the romance department. Listen, he's a dreamboat. Did you see his Roscoe? No, thank God. (laughs) It's covered by post-it notes. (laughs) So, um... So the night before the murder, uh, Stuart, who is the boyfriend, has come over. They had dinner together, like as a family. Um, at her funeral later, he she 
rather he was introduced as her fiance though laurie didn't know if they were engaged or not but she had mm-hmm. a ring on her finger in the casket so Aww. it sounds like the uh, proposal was pretty recent um that's so sad like she was finally like getting the things that she wanted in life after being married to this garbage asshole uh-huh and so they had dinner together as a family. The boys went to bed, but they stayed up talking for a while. They shared a bedroom. They were bunk beds, mm-hmm. just like you described in the movie. Right. Um, Stuart and, the, and Christine watched MASH together, had a couple of drinks. Oh, that's so cute. I, I love MASH. And then um, Christine said she was tired and she was going to sleep. And she asked Stuart to lock the door behind him. Because unlike in the movie, he was just going home. And he lived right. on the same block as them. Right, and see, in the movie, he's getting ready to go to work at the police station, which is why it doesn't make sense that the kids called him, because he could have been literally, like, anywhere in Milwaukee. Right, but no. I he, would assume. He um, he was just at home, and it was, like, a two-and-a-half-minute walk. Like, he was close. Oh, okay. And right. so that's why um, they called him, because they knew he would be faster than an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And if a cop calls and says, we have an emergency, things are really going to happen faster. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And I mean, there's no cell phones or anything. So these kids are probably also terrified and would like an adult on the premises as quickly as possible. Right. So they go to sleep. Christine goes to sleep. And then in the early morning hours, like around midnight, Shannon, who's the younger one, asks Sean if he can get in bed with him. He says he's scared that there's someone in the closet. Sean says later that Shannon has spent like every night with him in bed since his parents split up. So So it wasn't like weird. No, he's, he's. But I still think there was someone in the closet. It's possible. Um, So it's just clear that Shannon's not handing the divorce well and that Sean Mm -hmm. is like a really good big brother. That's so sweet. And so um, he wakes up a couple of hours later to it's I wrote. Let's see. um, They woke up to at least one stranger, but possibly more in their house. Sean, Mm -hmm. the older boy, felt some kind of ligature, a rope or a string or a wire. He said it was coated in plastic wrapped around his neck. And then a big gloved hand covered his whole face. And as the hand is reaching for his face, he yelps, which wakes Shannon up. And Shannon is a fucking hero. Yay! He jumps out of bed and he starts kicking and hitting the guy who's got his brother. Like, like you go, kid. I mean, but that's really admirable because you think for, especially like a kid that's that young, He's going to have a true fight or flight. Right. And he's either going to run or even a freeze. and he, Or he's going to just lay there and let whatever happens happen. You know, because he's just terrified. So, that, I mean, good for him. Yeah, he you springs go. into action. He's, he, like the two sons and Laurie, I think, are the only redeeming parts of this story. Mm-hmm. Maybe Stuart. They are the th- and Christine. Those are the people that right. I like in this story. Yes. Everybody else sucks. <laughs> um, so Everyone else in Milwaukee is terrible. If you live in Milwaukee, don't at me. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> You're all 16. Get off Twitter. Go right. to bed. Right. <laughs> So the boys later and very consistently describe this as a large man with a long reddish brownish ponytail and say he's wearing a green army jacket um, that's like canvas and it doesn't have camouflage, but it's army green. Okay. And then um, he's different from a sweatsuit. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. So he um, he leaves their room. He goes into Christine's room. They hear her say, oh, God, please don't do that. And then they heard a gunshot. 
So they get up and they run to their door and the guy bolts past them and just hops down the stairs like into the night. Bye. And um, they run over to Christine's room. She is still alive and they're there when no. she bleeds out. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's so I cried when I read this testimony. Like That's it, horrible. It broke my heart. That's really sad. Yeah. So, um, I can't imagine, and my son is almost 15, and I can't imagine him having to see something like that. Right. So, this manhunt begins for this man that they describe. And mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile, like, Laurie gets woken up. She, Fred gets called over. Fred, mm-hmm. like, appears at the crime scene. He's one of the first few people there. They do ask him to start to investigate this case. They have him and his partner go get his revolver from home so they can do a ballistic Isn't test. there some kind of protocol about that? Not in Milwaukee. <laughs> and I, maybe just because the media is more saturated now, but if it hit the news at any point now in 2019 uh-huh. that this guy was investigating his own ex-wife's murder people would flip their shit oh yeah and rightfully so rightfully so they should right so lots of people um called in tips that they had seen a guy who fits this description exactly but Mm -hmm. instead of following all these leads the police department takes for no apparent reason this right turn and decides that laurie did it and all of a sudden all the circumstantial evidence stacks up against her um so um she has to go with her husband to the morgue so he can identify the body and then he has her come to the crime scene so now all of a sudden she's got like why is he identifying the he's her ex-husband i I don't know everything i would assume at that at some point after you're divorced your next of kin is no longer the person you used to be married to it's your parents or, you know, God forbid, probably not your children until they turn 18, or your sister, or your brother. Like, somebody that you're actually related to. Right. Or hell. I don't know. That's that's very strange to me. And maybe it's not. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but it feels wrong. Yeah. Um. So, um, the for a very brief minute, the investigation focuses on Fred and then Fred starts to point fingers and he basically just throws Laurie under the bus. He's like, well, I was at work and I've got somebody who can follow up for me. When they clear his revolver, mm-hmm. um, his partner, Dufree, Derpy, Derpy. <laughs> Der- um, I think his, his name's either Dufree or Duffree. I mean, or Derpy. I don't remember what it was now. It's Derpy. So I'm going with Derpy. So Derpy um, looks at his revolver and like, he goes, Oh no. Yeah. This definitely wasn't used tonight. And Jesus Christ, don't you ever clean this damn thing? Um, Yeah. That they make that same comment in the movie. And so it gets cleared that night, but 22 days later, they decide that that was the murder weapon. And then because that this gun had magically passed its spelling test after a week, (laughs) um, then, I mean, that's, it, it, gunshot residue really takes a week to kind of sink into everything. Right. Yeah. It it's, does. Uh, it has to age like a good Hashtag wine. Hashtag science. Uh, <laughs> so it's got to mature. <laughs> it's got to it's decant a little so it tastes better. So um, It's got to get some legs. <laughs> that's when Fred is like, well, 
the gun was at home with Laurie, so it must have been Laurie. But then he doesn't ever want to, like, flat out say it. He just wants to get the attention off him. Um, You know, and I didn't say my theory in all this. And my theory, it's a little bit convoluted. And um, I, he was involved. Yeah, that's Fred. my theory, too. I don't know if he was the trigger man. He was involved, though. And I think that he thought that if he gave up Lori, that a jury would never convict her because she was so clearly innocent. And then when they did convict her, he had to be like, oh, fuck. Well, I guess I guess she did it. You know? Yeah. He was like trying to save his own ass and it totally backfired. Right. No, I'm kind of on board with that. The trial starts and they only have circumstantial evidence to the point that the prosecutor continues to say that um, Laurie didn't intend to kill his ex-wife, uh, didn't intend to kill Christine, um, but she's being tried for first degree murder. Isn't, isn't first degree murder premeditated? Yes. Intent so to if you kill don't intend to, to kill somebody. It. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, so what the prosecutor says that she, that Laurie was jealous of Christine's big house and the alimony that he was paying and the child support. And so she was going to scare Christine out of her house and then they were just going to swoop in and take that house. So the idea here is that she's going to go in with a gun. Say ooga booga. (laughs) Christine's going to be like, oh shit, we got to move. And then instead of selling the house or a, or it just continuing to live in the house. And like because, buying new locks and fixing the alarm system. Right. <laughs> it's She's just going to leave the house vacant. And so then Lori and Freddie can move in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. You cracked the case. Congratulations. <laughs> it's all very logical. Uh, so... Her attorney, I've had a whole glass of wine and this still doesn't make sense. Her attorney sucks. He doesn't have any good evidence. He doesn't have any good witnesses. He has nothing for her. She, he doesn't realize that this photo is black and white. Well, that's, that's all what, I need to know. That's where I'm getting to. So <laughs> the evidence that pops up in this case are all circumstantial. They're like statements from hashtag Zesty where Zesty was like, yes, I heard Laurie say that she wants to kill Christine. Yes, I've been scared of Laurie and Freddie. Like, um, uh-huh. Zesty should be scared now, right? Um, the they even call the boys up on stand. Well, they call Sean. They don't call Shannon. They call Sean right. up on stand. He gives his testimony. The um the prosecutor tries to like question him into a corner so that he'll say he doesn't know without a doubt that it's Lar that it's not Laurie, but he never budges. Like like a fucking champion. He's like, I know it was not Laurie. She what loves the fuck me. kind of what the fuck kind of prosecutor are you if you're backing a 10-year-old boy into a corner to prove your case? Uh-huh. And he says, like... You're a monster. In Just the transcript, the sweetest thing, he says, I know it wasn't Laurie because she likes to smell nice and I like the smell of her perfume and I would have smelled her perfume. Oh, my God. And so just that statement tells me how much he kind of idolized her and loved her. And... So the guy is like, well, if you never got a clear look at the face, how do you know that it wasn't Laurie? And he was like, um, because I could tell by the build of the body. And he was like, well, didn't you say because I have better skills at 
seeing things than you, you dummy. Right. So uh, I, I don't understand if you are as a prosecutor, if you're resting your case on just painting a little boy into a court, like you need to go take a long, hard look in the mirror and think about your life choices. I just can't with that. Yeah. Well, like I said, if somebody did that to my kid, I would freaking kill them. And he's not even a little boy anymore. He's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and so Sean never budges. He sticks to the story that he's been saying the entire time um the prosecution calls a photographer who taken a picture of laurie in her alleged green jogging suit she's been saying this whole time she never owned one hold on he holds up a black and white photo of a green jogging suit yes question why is this photographer taking photos of this girl um she while she's on a jog no she was not on a jog she went into his studio oh okay so he's not a a total creep just a half creep okay right yeah so like she at this point 50 percent creep is fine (laughs) that's better than we've gotten so far 50 percent creep i'd probably go on a date with you in (laughs) milwaukee (laughs) are you at least 19 (laughs) yikes so um so laurie then tells her attorney because he never like he doesn't question the black and white photo of a green jogging suit she leans over and she's like I have a friend who's a photographer and she says that there's a process to colorize black and white photos so you can get the original color. And so she's having to craft her own fucking defense. So I'm pretty sure the correct response to that is, and I'm not an attorney, so correct my speech if you must attorneys out there. But I think it's like, objection. This photo is black and white. I I think that you're onto something. And then the judge will be like, sustained, and then we move on. Except that this shitty judge probably would not have sustained. He would have overruled yeah. that objection. He's like, overruled. The judge is awful. He's got to be Green is in, clearly in black and white. I, he's got to be in the pocket of the police. Like, I can't think of any other reason that he's so I can't awful. believe she didn't ask, or her attorneys didn't ask for, I mean, I guess I can because he's an idiot, but I can't believe her attorney didn't ask for a change in venue because if you qual- if anybody qualifies for a change in venue it's this girl absolutely <laughs> yeah so the trial lasts 2 weeks the jurors then deliberate for 4 days to decide her fate and on that's actually a long time so i guess good for them except they came to the total wrong yep verdict so um they find her guilty for the murder of christine first degree murder of christine schultz so she um, gets taken to Teichita prison where she starts her lifetime sentence <laughs> on brand. Um, yeah. So within three months, she already gets a report from her friends that Fred is already fucking around and that he has gone back to Disco Freddy, the good time guy. Good riddance. Uh-huh. Ugh. Um, Hopefully they'll catch you when you kill your next ex-wife. God, I called him Dickhead Fred in my notes for most of this, <laughs> but I've tried very hard not to talk about him as much as I'm reading this because he just pisses me off. He's garbage. So, um, her parents call and they say that Dickhead Fred has had to move in with them. He's been let go from his job at the police Hold department. Hold on, this guy. <laughs> uh huh. His first wife is dead. Right? Uh-huh. 
His second wife is in murder, is in, is in murder, is in prison for the murder of the first wife. Uh-huh. He's putting his dick in every wet hole he can find. Uh-huh. And he's living with his second wife's parents. Yep, you got it. Good job. Case closed. Uh-huh. I hate him. So Please tell me he died a horrible, painful death. I have chosen not to look anything up about him. Um, I think he's in Florida in a Speedo right now. So he does eventually move down to Florida and marry this like 19 year old. So. I hate him. Uh huh. Um, So anytime he comes to visit her in prison, he talks about how hard his life is because of her. And (laughs) he, uh huh. Yep. And uh, so he How lost- dare you go to prison for something I did? It's really fucking up my life. He lost custody of his kids and he doesn't fight for them. He's just like, uh, they're, li- they're with my brother. I'll go see them whenever. I get, I mean, I guess they're better off. Apparently. Um, I mean, I, I like, I hate that, but also I would hate if he, like, if they had been stuck with him because he sucks. Now, by this point, she hates him. Like, she is not upset that they don't have a good marriage. She hates him and wants him gone. Good. Um, But he comes to visit her a few times while she's in prison. And then at their last meeting, he, like, very patronizingly kisses her on the forehead and then says, I could have loved you so much. Bitch, what the fuck? I'm going to flip this table over. I could have loved you so much. I I can't I can't I have to move on because I hate him. I don't I don't even have words for that. What the mm, I don't I don't have words. Okay, keep just keep going, please. They have a couple more arguments on the phone, and then eventually he sends her a letter that says "Good luck and goodbye," and that's how he breaks up with her. Dude, good riddance, you <laughs> asshole. Yep. Um. So- I hope Rocco gets cancer. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> and I don't wish that on people, but I do. I hope he gets cancer. Um, so during this time, her attorney, who is costed, like who is charged way too much and has done far too little, did you just say costed I, too much? I, yes, I tried to combine charged and cost. <laughs> who had charged? That was amazing. Okay, too much um, and done too little. He, uh, oh, her terrible attorney that doesn't know that he's apparently colorblind. Uh huh. That guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. By the way, his retainer fee. She um she files for or has him file for appeals. All the appeals are denied. She they she is doing everything she can, and then the um the state goes in and disbars him because he has been involved in a pretty severe uh, conflict of interest case. And so now he's a shitty ex-attorney, but he does, luckily before he goes, hit her with a collections letter because Freddie agreed to pay half of her bills. And of course he didn't, dickhead Fred. So she has to file bankruptcy because he hits her in prison with another $35,000 bill. Okay, I have a question. Like how, how does debt work in prison? Because it's not like you're going to be filing for any kind of credits. I don't know that answer, but I know she had to file bankruptcy and that there was a comment in the book that she only had like $48 in her prison account at the time. Wow. 
I just, I don't know why. I mean, I guess, I guess the thing is she's hoping to get out. Right. So she doesn't want her credit to be completely shot when she gets out. And so that makes sense. But to me, like if I got hit with a $35,000 bill in prison, I'm like, what are you going to do? Put me in prison? Right. Um, Am I going to be getting a loan? No. Okay. Right. Take that 35 grand and stick it right up your ass. Like, (laughs) so like, um, he basically just pieced the fuck out and didn't offer her anything else after he was gone. But luckily this private investigator stepped in. His name was Ira Robbins. And I would cast William Daniels, who played Mr. Feeney to be him. Yes. He's in the drive. I see him. And is he our hero? He is our hero. He Yay. deep dives into every shred of paperwork, piece of evidence, piece of litigation. And, um, I would trust I would trust this guy like he would walk into the jail and I'd be like you know what you look like a dad you Uh got the job he (laughs) is a bang up private attorney and he does everything he can to help her to the point that as he starts to make like really good breaks in the case he starts to get death threats called into his voicemail yikes Uh Uh, who would who would threaten to kill this man he's like the cutest little old man I I guess 16 year olds (laughs) Yes, 16-year-olds. They're very wily with their death threats. So, um... He is. He's like the sweetest little old man. They go through three attorneys together who (laughs) none of them really do any work. They won't take her case. He finally finds somebody who actually interested, who comes to the prison to meet with her and him about Mm -hmm. um, taking on her case. When it's over, Ira and Laurie are both super hopeful about this guy because he's got a really good record and he's like really really well respected. Let me guess, he's garbage. Uh Uh-huh, he leans over to Ira and he goes, when I win her case, do you think I can get a blowjob? Ira, being the badass that he is, he goes, well, not from me, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) So... Seven years into this nightmare, they finally get an attorney who is willing to take her case. Mm -hmm. And so they start filing for an appeal. Meanwhile, Laurie meets this man named Dominic um, Mm -hmm. Gugliotto. And he is the brother of one of the, uh, I still feel like I'm saying that wrong, but I had Fran text me the the phonetic spelling. (laughs) Um, Fran is our resident Italian speaker. Um, she tells us all the things he's i mean i i'm casting him as like a skinny tom Selleck. yeah i i get the skinny tom Selleck, but i don't like the bill cosby sweater i mean it was a thing it was yeah so when she saw him he was in short white tennis shorts and she fell in love (laughs) immediately and like a young sweet girl at the um, (laughs) yes Yes, at Cotillion. So this starts this whirlwind romance between Dominic and Laurie. He doesn't know anything about her case. He just thinks she's beautiful and he likes her for her. And it's been so long since she has talked to anybody who hasn't heard about her high profile case. Right. That it's nice to just be a person. Mm -hmm. Um, They start this like romance. He proposes to her. And so they book a date in August of 1990. Um, before that, like before their wedding could happen, she's in the newspapers again in May, but this time because she's about to graduate on like the Dean's list from the university she's been taking correspondence classes from. Um, so 
Teichina, the prison she was at, had given her permission to go to her graduation if she'd finish her degree. Mm-hmm. And then they rescind that permission. I guess they didn't think she was actually going to do it. I don't know. I didn't ask. Um, but, yeah. So, um, and then she gets an 18-page letter from the state that they're never going to reopen her case, basically. Was it 18 pages front and back? I, I did not ask how many, like if it's front and back, but the case was built on that her husband had paid for part of her, um, was supposed to pay for part of her um, attorney, but mm-hmm. that he was also a suspect in the case. So that should have been a conflict mm-hmm. of interest. And the state basically said it's not a conflict of interest because husbands pay for their wives all the time since wives don't make money. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm not going to comment. So that's when she just fucking loses it. And um, so she, uh, on July 15th, so this is like a month before they're supposed to get married, mm-hmm. the prison guards are running their nightly roll call and Laurie is not there. Mm-hmm. So just like in the movie, she has snuck out through the laundry room. She took the belt off that she was wearing on her Levi's and she tied together the barbed Wait, wire. did she really? Yeah. Yeah, that's really how they dressed in all the pictures I've seen from prison. Like that's from crazy. this Tay Cheetah that she was at. They were all in street clothes. Um, she's probably the reason you can't have a belt in prison anymore. Uh, maybe. It, was there someone that always had to wear the scrunchie of shame? That's all I want to know. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Okay. Instead of solitary confinement, they're like, go put on this scrunchie. <laughs> but it's got lice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, um, her fiance, Nick is there. His name's Dominic, but he goes by Nick. Uh-huh. He's there waiting in his truck and they piece the fuck out to Canada. Okay. They spend three months on the run. They settle at this That's little, a long time. Uh-huh. They settled at this little place in Ontario called Thunder Bay. Everyone there really liked them. They lived under the names Jennifer and Anthony. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they were caught is because she was a waitress at a diner. And uh, America's Most Wanted ran her picture. And some people she'd waited on recognized her. Oh. Yeah. So when she gets arrested by the Mounties, she calls a um attorney in thunder bay and he comes in immediately and he says i think you've got a good case for a refugee status Mm -hmm. because they're treating you awful in america i'm going to start this case now so he gets her deportation sustained and she Mm -hmm. um and he starts to work on a case for um her refugee status and he and the his partner are so nice they she says i don't have any money to pay you and they said we know that you're innocent and you owe us nothing everyone in canada is so nice right so um so they work on this refugee case they actually get her refugee status she is free for one whole day before she gets rearrested Yes, queen. I hope she lived it up for that one day. <laughs> right. Um, in that one whole day, a, a um, prosecutor, a federal prosecutor from w- Milwaukee files a new warrant for her arrest. So they, she gets rearrested. And they Wasn't get, his 16th birthday? That's like your rite of passage. Right. You get to file a warrant right. on his 16th birthday. So, <laughs> um, well, he's federal. So I bet he's 17 now. He Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, um 
So the Mounties re-arrest her just until they can figure out what they can do legally with her. She actually gets granted full refugee status and gets to walk free around Canada. And she spends a while there, actually. Nice. Um, Nick gets deported back to America. He has to serve a year mm-hmm. in jail and pay back twenty or pay $2,500 in fines. That is punishable, like aiding... Uh, an escaped convict is punishable for up to 10 years and $10,000. So he got a really light sentence anyway. Okay. So she gets a, a call from Milwaukee that basically says, if you come home and plead no contest to second degree murder, we'll commute your charges to time served and you will get to walk free here with your family I hope she got that in writing first. I hope so too. But she did. And she went down. She got the second degree charge. The whole world at this point is convinced that she didn't do it. Um, But now Milwaukee won't overturn her no contest status. Once you've pled no contest, you're admitting to it. And they're never going to reevaluate your case. See, that's the problem is, is that now they've put this woman in prison for something she didn't do. They've, I mean, they've gone back and made it as right as they are willing to and like commuted her sentence and she's out with her family. But this poor woman that was murdered, they're never going to reopen her case because in their file, it's closed. Yep. Um, And that's really sad. Yeah. So the best thing that came from this is Ira Robbins uncovered so much shady police work that he and the coroner that you mentioned in your movie uh-huh. um, actually worked together to open what's called a John Doe investigation of the Milwaukee mm-hmm. police department where they investigated from top to bottom, everything with the Milwaukee police department and cleaned it the fuck out. So everybody got fired and they brought in actual adults to do the police work. That's exactly what happened. Amazing. Good for you, Mr. Feeney. I'm really proud. So she died at 53 years old uh, of liver oh. and kidney failure. So she died really young. Um, she died sick. in 2010. I can't so- imagine that all of that, like, stress uh, is good for your body. Right. You know? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, just so sad. But, and she was... What I think pisses me off the most is the newspapers always talk about how beautiful she is. Which, yes, yeah, she's she beautiful. Is. But she's brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. reading her poetry and seeing the things that she had to do to keep herself afloat... Right. She is smart and she should be known as somebody who was smart and who fought the biggest fight she could. And I'm not saying that escaping from prison was the smart thing to do, but she did get that refugee status, which gave her the opportunity to stop and reevaluate and fix things. Right. And, you know, she is also a victim of this crime. Oh, absolutely. She's not the victim of this crime. That is Christine Schultz. And we should all remember that, but she is also a victim of this crime because she did not, she didn't kill this woman. I'm sorry. No, you'd have to give me some very concrete, actual DNA evidence that proved with a hundred percent certainty that she was there. And I probably still wouldn't believe you. The most widely accepted belief is that Freddie hired a hitman out of Chicago who brought with him another person. And mm-hmm. that's the only logical reason that Christine died without putting up a fight is that there were two men holding her down. So that's rough. Fuck you, Fred. Um, all right. So that's the unfortunate both sides of the story. Did of the- anything ever happened to him? No. I did not. I told you I didn't do any more research on him because I hate him. Yeah. 
so um before she died she did she did go on dr phil um but while she was being like right before filming she made news for being thrown or jumping out of a second floor window basically she claimed that the staff of the dr phil show had been keeping her there like kidnapping i guess and she was not going to be fucking held in a cell anymore and she just jumped out of the window i'm not completely uninclined to believe her no me neither that's not the first time that people from the dr phil show have reported something like that have you ever, like, Dr. Phil's a little bit culty. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. So, because I can't handle this depressing anymore, what are we watching next week? Okay. This case actually, okay, it turned out to be a lot more depressing, but the movie was just amazing. So I need you to give me a better case, one that's not going to make me cry the whole time. Okay. How about I give you next week? We will be watching the movie. Or I will be watching the movie Dirty Little Secret, and you will be telling us about Jody Arias. I get to research about Jody Arias. Yes, Aaron, you do love me. <laughs> I've already watched this movie once, I haven't made any formal notes yet, but there is so much sex in this movie. Why are you getting all the good stuff? I'm doing the reading and you're watching the porn. Okay. (laughs) First of all, if you know anything about this case, you know that the actual case is also very porny. Oh, very porny. I think it's called erotica when it's in print. Yes, right. (laughs) It's erotica. I mean, who's that chick that wrote that book? The erotica book? I don't know. She could have written this case. The, the Fifty Shades of Grey books? Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's some initials, isn't she? Yeah. I never read those. I've read them, but not in years and years. Um, Yeah, like, this case is just as badly written. <laughs> Beautiful. I can't wait to get into it. So, this movie is absolute garbage, but so is the case. Uh, like, you should have just as much fun. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have fun. Like, spoiler alert. Jody Arias sucks. <laughs> She's cray. For real. All right. Well, it's late. It is. So I'm going to go. Hey, do you remember where everyone can find us on social media? Oh, crap. No. I can. Hey. Th- they can look us up on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. On Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, they can find our website, lifetimesentencepod.com, and they can send us an email at lifetimesentencepodcast at gmail.com. Yay! And we look forward to hearing from y'all. Yes! Thank you, everyone, for listening, and don't forget to eat your vegetables. Yes, Lydia, eat your vegetables. (laughs) Bye! Bye! This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.